Hey, 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 welcome to Your Aunties Could Never, episode 98 on Tuesday, the 2nd, no, the 22nd of the 2nd, 22. We're all the two. <laughs> See, you know what that reminds me of? What what Oh, God, here we go. Oh, God. <laughs> welcome to Your Aunties Could Never, a podcast for cool aunties and uncles everywhere where you hear no nonsense, straight talkings. I'm Auntie AK and I'm here with... Auntie Nana. Auntie Sade. And the bad kid in the corner... Marvin Harrison. Uncle Marvin. Oh, Uncle Marvin. Don't try mm. it. <laughs> um, how are you, my aunties and uncle? How, what, how are you? How are you? How are you? I was just yes. excited by the fact that I... Sorry, child's entered the room, obviously. I was just excited <laughs> by the fact that I got to say Auntie Farah! Because it's been a while. Yes. Oh, it is, has not it? That's why yes. I got excited. Because oh, you were there last week, but yes. Auntie Farah, welcome, welcome, welcome. How is everybody? Okay. I'm going through my days at work at my current job. It's all rather strange. I've been saying this line quite a lot. What are you going to do? Sack me? Uh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> all in jest, obviously. But yeah, apparently that is the line that I'm using every day. It's how are you doing? Uh, it's very, I, can't, I wish I could say that. That's quite a fun. Um, Auntie Anna, how are you doing? <laughs> yes, I, I am cool. I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm Nothing sure. to share. No crazy stories. I'm cool. Yeah, I'm okay. Obviously, still processing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I was laughing today. So yeah, that's definitely. That's, I was about to say, Auntie Marvin, Uncle Marvin, <laughs> how you doing? I think I'm in the same place as everyone else. I'm, I'm present. I'm trying to find moments, moments mm. of of respite. But yeah. Yeah, I have no other major complaints. That's good, that's good. I hear. did have a moment this morning. I just forgot about it, actually. It's only as you guys were saying it. I had a moment this morning when I drove into work and Sam Cook was on the radio. Change going to come. And I, like, I'm not ashamed to share this. I, like, broke down in my car. <laughs> like, mm. it was just... It was very strange because I thought about my gran. I thought about everything that's happening, all the changes. It was very strange. But, yeah, I think everyone's going through a bit of change at the moment yeah. it's an yeah. odd time isn't it very yeah. odd time I think, that's, I think that's a perfect word odd it's an mm. odd time right now and everyone's in contemplation mode all right guys get your plates get your drinks and let's start the party show i'm sorry do we have a game no worries yeah why not go on then go on then yeah why not okay cool yeah. all right it's would you rather because i know you've all missed it <laughs> <laughs> okay um, would you rather Buy 10 things you don't need every time you go shopping or always forget the one thing you need when you go to the store. 10 things I don't need. The one yeah. thing that I really... I'd rather not have that. I feel like 10 things sound expensive to me. It sounds like I'm buying cookies and white chocolate Twixes and stuff. Not, <laughs> Just like insight into your favourite tip yeah. snacks. And shortbread, yes. yeah. Oh, shortbread. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> shortbread. Oh, shortbread. I love shortbread. <laughs> um, I'm following Sue. I think that one thing, because before I was going to go with the 10 things, but you're right. And I'm just trying to save money and be good with budgeting. So I would forget the thing that I went there for. I'll, I'll do that. That's my life anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just constantly do this. Every, literally every time I go to the shop, I always forget the one thing I 
that's supposed to be top of my list. Yeah. Auntie AK. What's already there. Yeah. Auntie AK, what would you do? I said I'd go for Did 10 you? things. See, yeah. I'm going to go opposite to all of you because 10 things that I don't need in my life is always quite practical. So mm-hmm. 10 things could be I've seen on sale that there's 10 different buy two, get one free, that scenario. So I've bought extras. What I don't want to do is be short of toilet paper. What I don't want to do is be short of feminine hygiene products. Yep. (laughs) So these are things that one needs and one cannot afford to forget. So I would prefer to be like my grand. She was, she said too many things. I'll be that person. That's, I'm, I'm the same because my thing is going to the shop and forgetting what you need. That's a bum. Like, that's annoying. So I'd have to go back home and then go back. And how is it like a thing? I'm on a loop every time I go to the store. I forget every what time. I'm doing. Every single time. Yeah, no. no, let me go to the shop and possibly get more than I need and also get what I need. It's all right. <laughs> I just have to, I have to regulate how often I go to the shop. That's all. Yeah, it's good. Because sometimes when you run out or you think you've run out of things, in my case, I'm like, oh, look what's in the cupboard. I've got an extra. You've got loads. Yeah. Yeah. Next one. Next. Would you rather be royalty a thousand years ago or an average person today? (laughs) Royalty a thousand years ago for sure. (laughs) Can I be an African royalty though? I don't want to be one of those colonial ones. I'll take that. Like a tribe. Yeah, a thousand years ago, it it was the African we're running to. They had bare things in place that I would have liked. It was yeah, it would have been amazing. I would have gold, I'd have all the fruits, I would have had a pineapple, I would have been eating everything. Yeah, gold would have been a minor to you. Gold my, is- my my dyslexia is, is getting in the way. Like, what year is that? Ten- <laughs> that's not that's 1022. 1022. Oh, there was yeah. a there was a battle of Hastings 40 years battle later. Of Hastings. Oh, definitely royalty. Yeah. Vikings, were definitely about- royalty. Not not over here though. Definitely yeah. not. I mean, we would have African royalty. Yeah, Shanty Gold Kings. Oh, I would have definitely done that. Oh, yeah, all day. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. That's a good one. I like that. Same. I would do the same. Definitely. Let's face it, we're royalty anyway. But I would do the same. Mm. Some of us more than others. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Meaning me. Not all kings and queens. (laughs) Why not? King of your castle, baby. Not all. It's just the the king of your castle. Why not? It's the law yeah, of averages. They, they had to I said king of your castle, Nana. Leave me in my dream alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, ooh, okay. Would you rather work an overtime shift with an annoying boss or spend a full day with your mother-in-law stroke father-in-law? What the hell? Hmm? I don't make the questions. I would definitely hang out with my mother-in-law. For sure. Yeah. And bosses are just like anyone on a power trip just has to be deleted from my life immediately yeah. it's always it's, it's literally just like instant it's like oh i rebuke you but my mother-in-law she's mad cool she's got loads of information she's a doctor we could talk about health she's a very worldly woman she spent a lot of time in jamaica yeah if you're single like some of us are pick a, a, a person from the past their parent think of that person Oh, <laughs> I would. It'd be very interesting. Was you, was you thinking you could get out of it? <laughs> I was thinking forward because I haven't yet met the person that potentially will be, and I wouldn't. I don't want to talk about it. So let's say yeah. I, 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 I could probably spend time with my, my daughter's dad's mum. She's fun. She's an interesting character, so that'd be fun. Yeah. Right, so was it a whole? Was it a whole day? 
it's a whole day. Oh, shit. A full day as well. Oh, I've done bad. that before. I would do it with my mother-in-law. I've not had a boss that um, has been particularly annoying. So going on past interactions, I could do a day with mother-in-law. It's cool. It's only a day. It's 24 hours, isn't it? It's cool. Mm. I'd shot it. Yeah, I, th- I think a day like with your in-laws, fine. Yeah. Like, I think like an annoying boss, that's like, oh, I don't know, that's kind of pressure, man. Like seriously, yeah. it is like... Is it a whole day with your annoying boss? Sorry, or just it says, and I, I think it's a shift, an overtime oh. shift. Oh, no, it's all right. Oh, I can meditate for like two hours now. So, you're I, supposed I, to be working. So, I would, I would <laughs> go annoying. into a meditative state. Part of the annoying boss bit because you're meditating, <laughs> <working, laughs> so they would be saying to you, Why aren't you working? Yeah, <laughs> I just don't like that whole kind of what you were saying, Marvin, like. That whole power trippy thing. I don't like, I just don't, I, I don't respond to authority well. So, <laughs> I, no the language that was given in South Africa is that you're ungovernable. And it's the oh, nicest wow. way ever <laughs> to say the truth about me ever. I was actually like, I'll take that. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a good one. You're ungovernable. Yeah. <laughs> I'd spend the day with my daughter's grand. Like, she's good peeps. She is jokes. She has like stories after stories. And like, yeah, I could easily. Spend the day with Miss Hazel. She's funny as hell. <laughs> there you go. That was easy. Nice. All right. All right. All right. Thank you very much. It's time to welcome to the family. And I, it's my turn. And I will be, um, of course, welcoming Jamal Edwards, who we recently lost. We are going to talk about him some more, so I won't go too much into detail, but a definite, inspiring, wonderful, powerful nephew. And I wish we weren't doing it posthumously, because most definitely he would have been on the list anyway but even more so now. So welcome to the family, nephew, Jamal. And just, yeah, we will talk about him some more. You're listening to The Aunties Could Never. Your aunties could never. Please don't forget when you're listening via Apple Podcasts and Spotify to rate us, comment about us, celebrate us, because we want to be rich, beautiful aunties that we can continue to give you rich, wonderful advice forever and ever. Amen. Now it's time for What Have You Heard? Slash For The Culture. This is where we discuss what's going on in the news. The stories has got us talking. And like I said, we will have to, of course, mention Jamal Edwards and I'll hand over to you, Auntie Nana. Okay. All right, so I just really wanted to get some, like, stories from you guys because Jamal Edwards was a pioneer um, in representing and documenting Black British culture in a digital space. And I wanted to know, what was the first time you guys realised how special he was, like, how monumental he was to our culture as well? i just share a few stories with them. I'll go with Uncle Marvin. First. Yeah, it's it's a it's a real raw one for me. So Jamal, I, I met Jamal shortly after F64 took off. He I invited him to Sunday show at the time. So this is I don't remember what year this is now, but 2007, 8 maybe. And I invited him to Sunday show and I remember we, we would walk around a bit and he was just outside in this really long queue. So the queue was absurd and he was just standing there waiting for hopefully someone to come out and go and get him. And I was just like, that's such a humble thing to do anyway, because I, I wouldn't do that. I'd be like, hi, you invited me and told me to come and you told me to come straight to the front. And he was just standing in, in the middle of the queue waiting to to be let him by himself. And then when we met, my thing was just, I wanted to meet everybody and introduce him to all the people. And so he really honored those relationships, but also he made it a reoccurring place to come. And 
shortly afterwards, I started helping him with SBTV. I think it might have been around 2009. And, and at that time, it was just trying to get interview, bigger interviews on the platform. So it was me, Twin B, my friend Richard Antwi, who's no longer with us also. And we all were just like getting behind him. There was quite a lot of people doing it, but we came together and was like, how do we help this? How do we help him grow what he's doing? We helped him build his team. We found Georgia Lewis Anderson, who was the presenter. And she actually texted me and I, I it, it was tough because I, yeah, that was really hard to hear from her. Because I remember the moment that we went to Cricklewood to meet her and do the interview. And then when she did it, we were like, she's the one. And he had this thing of his eyes would like, like Brighton when he when something really funny or interesting happened and it just made me think about those moments and yeah it's been a really tough time and there's so many good stories like another one is just when I remember he came to Sunday show and everyone would descend on him with their like I can rap and he would have to sit stand there and talk to people for ages with lots of passion everyone knows how if anyone ever used to buy CDs outside Foot Locker you would know the passion that yeah. an aspiring MC has. <laughs> yeah. And so this guy just talking ears off. And then again, Jamal's looking at me like, bro, you just left me. Don't, don't leave me here <laughs> with these people. But still being really polite and nice. And, it, and so many people connected to him in that moment. But I have stories of like him and Ed Sheeran coming to watch Arsenal versus Man United at my house. Like, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's a very real one. Like at a very particular point, there weren't many outlets. It was like him, one extra... GRM Sunday show was around. There was a couple of places you can go to do stuff. And he was, was by far my favorite. And he was a great guy. And I don't want to dishonor anybody else. But there was a we had a very special moment where we coexisted and I was so honored to be a part of it. And the legacy is out of this world. But there's he's just one of those people that it, it you never want to hear that news from. Yeah. Yeah. Um Auntie Farah? I don't know him, so I can't. I don't have personal stories in that respect. The only thing that I can say is that what I have noticed is that not one person has said a bad thing about him, and I think that just speaks volumes of the type of character that he was. Everyone's got really good stories about him, and just saying that how how uh, what's the word I'm looking for? How generous he was with his time and with his talent and with his his heart even. So I just think this has affected my my entire timeline. Yesterday was full of stories about him about and people and all these people, I won't say all, the majority of these people had personal stories about him. And then there were also people who said that they'd been influenced by him and they'd, he'd encourage them, but he's a West London boy. So I've got to support that. Love the fact that he went to the West London colleges and always went back and talked about it. So I, I just mm -hmm. admire what he done, what he did in his short space of time. And it, it just goes to show you that if you work hard and you truly believe and you're, you've just got a clean heart as well, you can achieve great things. And I just think he was part of the Princess Trust. It's just amazing what he achieved in the short space of time. And I know that he'll truly be missed, but I think that his legacy will live on forever, which to me is a beautiful thing. There's a quote that he said, it's not, no one expects to live forever, but it's about what you can do. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But yeah, I just think he just seems like a genuinely beautiful soul and heaven definitely gained another angel, so. That's what I'm Thank you. And <clears throat> Yeah, this one is a hard one. I can't lie. And I can't even say like like bona fide brethrens or anything like that. It's, it's not even that. It's just that what, I guess it's like what he stood for in a sense of, to me anyway, just, he was just a down to earth, cool guy. Like 
despite what he's achieved, his stature, his accolades, everything, like he was just a down to earth person. So it didn't matter where I saw him. It was, he was just always just nice. And like a lot of people, as we we all touch the industry, they're not like that. Like they really, and I hate to say it, but like a lot of black people, it does, that's our space as well. Cause that's what we come across and stuff, but like, Sometimes it's, they go clear and it's, you can't chat to them again or, or they have to, you have to be standing in the lights for them to notice you. And he just wasn't like that. I do remember working events for a very long time. And at the beginning, of, the beginning of my kind of like events in tech career, he used to do a couple of events with YouTube and stuff and he'll be on panel and maybe a bit nervous and stuff. So we'll do a bit of a rehearsal and talk him through it, like what points he should stick to and stuff and things like that. And he's just like really just gracious and just just not full of himself Mm. and he's always been like a like an example especially the younger people in my world okay like well look at this guy he's doing this you don't have to be like a a bad man (laughs) like or whatever it is to 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 be in that space you don't have to be you can just be cool and still play in that space and, and just be authentic and I feel like his mum as well, Brenda, on the occasions like we've crossed paths in, in work and stuff. It's just like she's just lovely. Like she's he was a testament to her. Like mm. like com- completely. And it's just when you just see someone who's got good home training. Do you know what I mean? It just as a you know a mature person in this world, it just makes you smile because it's it just shows the the possibility. And he certainly showed that. And I, I just yeah, it's just heartbreaking yeah and i know this is not really conventional but it just makes me angry that there are people that shouldn't maybe not be here that are still here and and, and he's not here how is that fair it's not fair uh, that's honestly yeah it's just it's just a difficult one so i think and i will say this as well like i know we get lots of different types of viewers and i think like especially like a lot of young people now at work and stuff you need to give them space you need to give them time they need to process this is someone that's a pillar in our community and they need to because a lot of people a lot of black people are just like their their white colleagues aren't necessarily feeling this and it's Mm. really tough so i feel for them reach out to them see if they're okay yeah, Auntie Nana. Um, so, what I was uh, comes to mind is the first time I really noticed him was from the Chrome advert, and I yeah. was really inspired by seeing that. Like, just wow, there's somebody like that. He got a camcorder and just went out there and has created this channel. And I wasn't really on YouTube properly then like be what was I like 30 so maybe slightly slow on the internet uptake so I just I remember going on and like really being glued to that season of adverts that Chrome was doing but just followed him and actually SBTV really introduced me to Grime and I still love Grime to this day but it was from watching videos coming up on his channel and I was like this is great there's a whole new youth subculture that I wasn't really aware of Again, at the same time, like what Marvin was saying, lots of the clubs had closed down and we were doing events in the city. And because of the 696 forms, which basically were just cutting black people out of having anything on in a venue, it's like he actually created a space where people could show their talents because you couldn't do it live too often. 
and just having that digital space take off I was like that's just amazing and reading through all of the testimonials and people like pouring their hearts out while they're grieving I was thinking of his mother just like I'd be so proud obviously you're grieving the loss of your your son but at the same time the 31 years that he was on this earth what he managed to achieve the millions of people that he touched in various different ways I'd just be my heart would be soaring that he he had done this like my little kid had managed to grow into the man that he did so yeah I, I was just it was shocking on Sunday I really was like wow he's so young but achieved so much and who knows what this life is for and just the outpouring of love that he's received I really think they go hand in hand to where you land in the outer realms like I think that outpouring takes you somewhere else just looking up into the sky and just thinking, wow, he probably has a whole galaxy that has been made for him now. Mm. Um, yeah, I can't, yeah, most everything that you guys are saying, I think my personal memories of just, again, not like a best friend or anything, not at all, but just, it's interesting, definitely a decade or so older than him and decade and change. And just having it, like him validating, like, like yeah, I see what you're doing. This, yeah, rich is I know it. I think I must, I always do this thing where, I don't know if you know who I am, if I'm being introduced or something like that, or I don't know if you remember me. And he was like, no, I know what you're doing. I see what you're doing. Just that validation from someone who's done a platform similar to mine in a different space, obviously more music focused. It was always a, a healthy competition, inspiration, looking to what he's doing and inspiring me to do stuff with the British Blacklist. And I, I remember one time he was on the tube with a friend. I didn't want it because I was a little ways. Like I, said, I was like, oh, there's Jamal. And he had um, the, these, I think, black Nike 95s. They were all black. And I was like, nah, they're bad. And I was just <laughs> little things like that. I was like, oh, they're bad. I'm going to get a pair. I never did get the pair. But I was always like, yeah, I saw them on Jamal. And they look excellent. Just silly, just little silly things. And every time I think I saw him not long ago at one of the Soho's and just always saying hello. And that was it. Mm. It's just, yeah, as you guys have all said, a beautiful, wonderful soul, humble soul from up the road as well. It's just, yeah, amazing. And the work, I think there were, we had an email conversation about the stuff that he was doing in Acton, which is local to my area. And whenever that would have picked off, maybe that we'd have done something, I don't. And I just wanted to, like I, I was saying to the guys beforehand that I actually sent a DM to his mum because there was nothing Charlene White announced on what's- I was just about to say that, yeah. On um, Loose Women saying that Brenda was robbed of her moment to announce to the world that her son had passed. And I definitely, I DM'd, Brenda this morning like she doesn't know me from Adam but I did apologize in any way if my our post on the British blacklist was anyhow insensitive or caused her any pain it wasn't and I generally said I was I was selfishly thinking of myself and I did we posted my sister and I discussed it late in the evening at the end of the day after I'd heard about it and then I actually did say to her let's put it out tomorrow but then she was like I'm, I'm ready to do it now and I said okay cool it was very late but that doesn't excuse and Brenda has a right to be to be fair to you, to be fair to you, based on what Charlene said during yesterday's show, it it was more of people in this in like that knew immediately posted. So yeah. it's not so much. I think then the media obviously jumped on it, and it they, she specifically said as well social media. So to be fair to you, I think by the time I even saw it on your platform, I'd seen it on other people's platforms. So yeah, it's okay. just. I was going to touch on that. Unfortunately, she didn't have the opportunity to do it in the way that she wanted to do it, and my thoughts are with her as well. Yeah, I, I think. No, I think there's a bit. There's a real big problem with social media and these types of events. And in one way, you want to honour people, but also 
jumping in ahead of the family is a real problem. I've made that mistake as well, just been invited to do something. And I'm like, oh yeah, cool, thinking I'm helping, finding out that I'm making it more difficult. And it, it is really horrific to hold that space. And in many ways, the, 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 it's a conversation we just need to have. Because in the moment, like some people are sharing screenshots of their private conversations. And to me, that feels like a violation of it being a private conversation. But everyone agrees differently. But I do think we need some sort of protocol because I think it just becomes... I know Kobe Bryant, his family has some challenges around that. Like people were talking about it and taking pictures and doing mad things. And I think people just think about the engagement and the moment. And before they think about the family, like people aren't real people anymore. They're, they're a context to have a conversation or to show how much you knew them. Or like I posted and I think I had about 20 comments. I just deleted it because I was like, I don't actually want... I don't want the energy on my page. I don't even want... I don't, I don't know. It just didn't feel the right way to honor in that time. But everyone has their things and their own sensitivities, but I've become extra sensitive to it. And I think it's something that I just want to keep personal now, but I know people mourn in different ways, but it's a very valid conversation. I think, yeah, I agree. I think because of the process, I have a platform that speaks about people in the arts. We definitely report when people have passed. And in my moments, like, it's because I, I remove, we always have hashtags. We always do things like that. But I, I, when it's when someone passes, and if we do, if there are any posts of a hashtag, that's an error. But when someone passes, we remove anything that make that will look like we're trying to capitalize on someone's passing. So I know hashtags. So it's not like we want to be searched for or found. And even and similarly, we had loads of comments on the post, and then the like count was going up. And I was like, I don't want anyone to ever think that this post is capitalizing on this thing. It's a genuine. We've heard this news, we want to put it out there on a platform in a respect, as respectful way. The only thing I did wrong was not, I didn't even think, I actually didn't even, I forgot that Brenda would even be on its socials. So I didn't even think to check on whether she'd even spoken about it. I did act on the fact that everyone was talking about it. And so I did, which was wrong. But because I worked at the BBC for how many years and we have protocol when something happens, we have to follow a protocol, a strict protocol, especially with the leaders, the queen, the royal family. There's a strict order a procedure before we can even report before things yeah. go out so we'd get in super trouble if i was at the bbc and i found out the queen of pass and i put it on social media then i think it's a sackable offense to be honest before we follow proper protocol so i mean it's hard because everyone's a journalist but yeah it's yeah, i mean like as you all know they make loose women where i currently work and there's things that we have to be quite careful of as well in terms of how these things are handled and certainly when it's someone who is a staff member. But I do think it's hard, but just, I suppose what it is as well, if you think about someone, when you're grieving yourself, the process of telling people is that mm. it, it's extremely difficult. And yeah. it also really brings things to the surface. Once you've got to start telling people, it sets a whole nother ball rolling and that's quite difficult and she she may not have been ready to say anything yet and but when people say respect our privacy because we're grieving that's because they don't want to have to deal with the house when you're grieving you don't want to have to deal with the outside the last thing you want to do as well is continuously talk about how yeah, and that's yeah. I, I, honestly when whenever there's a crisis here it's the peopling that makes it worse it, yeah. it just always is man like, I think about every tough time I've had in the last five years, it's never what's going on with the actual moment. It's how people start responding. And they create more things for you to deal with and have to process. They have questions, they have things they need, they offering help. Like, it's so difficult to, even when people say, oh, how can I help? I actually have to think, how, I don't know, how can you help? Bring me a pie, tell me you love me, 
Leave me alone. Leave like, me alone. I, I was going to say that. Yeah, Literally, a, leave me alone. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a very difficult space to hold. People are not really well versed on how to not center themselves in grieving. It's just, it becomes your performance. It's going on and, and, and I think there's one thing honoring and celebrating when you have a platform, it's one thing. Your personal testimony is another. I'm, I may actually do something for Beloved because I just, it, it, it occurs so often and it depends on your proximity. But if you're miles away and no one has any idea you exist, it's one thing. But if you have a platform as another thing, if you're a person of note, it's another thing. It's all slightly yeah. different ways of handling it because as British Blacklist, you have a right to report it. TMZ report things when people are still on, on their last legs, they will report it. Yeah. They, don't, they don't care. And then if that's your role in society is to inform people, if you don't know them, it's one thing. If you do know them, it's another thing. But I, I, for me personally, I, I, I have, you have to handle those things a lot more carefully. And it's just, it, it takes, sometimes it takes a moment for it to be like, oh, actually... This isn't right. It's very difficult to do it in advance because so much happens which we're desensitized to. Yeah. People just blitz through. So I don't want to have judgment, but I do want to have a conversation about where, what we can be doing going forward to not let that happen again because we've lost a lot of prominent people in the last two years. I do think it's like super difficult. I just think it's just so hard. Like people want to express how they feel and love and social media just so happens to be the platform and it might not show up how and because also as well like algorithms are a thing like it's, it's not it's, it's very difficult to translate the intention behind someone posting and it's this I feel like sometimes there's an expectation for like, there's a perfect way to handle things and if you're finding out something out of the blue. It was a shock. It was an absolute shock to everybody. So like, I'm not surprised you got people on Twitter, like trying to find out if it's true. I'm not surprised that people trying yeah. to hunt down the truth and stuff like that at all, because it just wasn't expected. And maybe because we know his mom and stuff and everything like that. But if we didn't, do you know what I mean? Like he, he's a notable person, right? There's an interest in him. He's affected so many people. Like it's just, I just don't know if there's one necessary right way or for like how people need to uh, can show up to express how they feel. I think they should obviously try and be mindful, but I think the majority of people do not have ill intent. I don't I don't think it's ill intent, but I think we we talk about what what we were trying to do versus what actually happened. And so this is what I'm saying is that we can have wide berth for Accountability. I think I think we've just disconnected from humanity in a way where we we disconnect from the human impact and what that could mean and what we create for others with our discourse. And we talk about this in terms of like race, we talk about it in terms of gender. Events happen, Sarah Everard happens, and your jokes don't land anymore. Your commentary no longer lands because the context is extreme violent and it's urgent. Post George Floyd. I don't even want to hear the N-word in any context. So there's a sensitivity that's created in real time. And what I'm saying is I think the dis... Because I'm not even talking about... Because I think what you're talking about is like six, seven hours after post three hours of people talking about it. I'm talking about the first group of people who are just like tweeting, tweeting, tweeting. And the first verified type people I'm seeing announcing, they then create the formal narrative and, and no one actually knows because yeah. no one was invited into the space to know, to have a view on what it is. I'm, not, I'm not actually, sorry, I know you're trying to qualify what I'm saying, but that's not what I, I'm, I'm 
talking that even from the beginning because also as well one thing that that sometimes happens is if someone's asking a question about something on Twitter, they don't necessarily know that the first person asking the question. It might seem like it and they might be the source of it, but at that moment they might not know. And so I don't think that all of these things are necessarily like contrived in that way or people are just trying to get likes or just trying to create content in that kind of traditional way. I think that people are just curious and like maybe it's just their platform and, and their mode of communication and I think it need, there needs to come to a point where we almost accept that is what it is and navigate through those eyes rather than trying to make the people the enemy because it's just an expression of love really and truly when people are posting their experiences when they're writing comments or when they're liking posts when they see Jamal it's just an expression of love it's I understand you I see your pain you are me I'm you that's all that is so I, just... I think that you're both, because I think that one of the things that no one can tell you is what the measure for grief is. Grief yeah. is displayed in, in many different ways. I'm sitting here now, doesn't mean I'm all right. But grief can be displayed in many different ways. And I do think you're right, Auntie Sade, that when some, certainly when you see someone going through the same thing as you, it can be helpful because you resonate with that. But at the same time, I do think, as Marvin said, that some platforms have a responsibility to make sure that their sources are correct and they're not just putting things out just for the sake of it. And if you, someone mentioned TMZ, they just put things out. How many times do we see mm. things where it says that someone's died and the person's like, so I think yeah. that people have a, a right to at least before they print something or put it on social media or whatever the case may be, to maybe reach out to that person's family and allow them to say what they need to say first of all. You cannot stop if there are friends, you cannot stop if there are friends that are close to him that put it out there, because again, that goes back to, that's how they're displaying grief. And you would hope that those people touch base with the family first of all. But in terms of actual platforms, I would like to think that it's handled a bit better. It, if we can go back to 1997 and people taking pictures of Diana in the tunnel. So I just feel like that kind of thing, it, you, you have a responsibility to manage these things better. And on that note, just sending love and condolences to um, Jamal's family and friends, loved ones. Can we get the comments, please? All right, so hello to everybody, Neodate, um, Antoinette and Iola. And Iola says, loving the memories of honouring of Jamal. So true, Auntie Shade. I agree with every word said, especially how unfair it is that the good ones go too soon. And whilst there are still so many undesirables around. And thank you, Jamal, for living your truth and walking your talk. Uh, Candy says, I see a trend of people hashtag hashtagging the deceased um, and the bereaved, forgetting that the family are going to be bombarded with pings and messages when they're still trying to process it. Yeah, very true. All righty. Okay, so we've got a bunch of news and culture. So I'll run through the headlines and you can pick what you want to talk about. So Donald Trump has launched Truth Social, a social media platform to counter the fact that he's been banned off Twitter. Are you guys signing up? The Wendy Williams show is going to be cancelled in June and Sherry Shepard is set to... I don't know, they're lining it as maybe the replacement show. I don't know how you lot feel about that. William and Kate's Jamaica visit has delayed a deportation flight. Wow. ZZ Mills responded to Nicki Minaj's tweet about women doing things for themselves and not men. We can delve into that. And also, I don't know if you guys watched Inventing Anna, the next one up after uh, the Tinder swindler. And the question is, why do we treat victims of scam with no em scams with no empathy? Because I've seen a lot of people 
saying foolishness to the Tinder swindler person and to the people that got duped by inventing Anna. And in culture also, the big piece of chicken, does the man deserve it, the man of the household deserve it or not? It rages on. It's still raging on. What do you want to talk about first, guys? Uncle Marvin, as the guest, go on. What do you want to talk about first? I want to talk about a big piece of chicken, but I was also intrigued. <laughs> I'm also intrigued by Donald Trump having a platform because I just think it's like hilarious. It's like the last stand of idiocracy. Just yeah, I, I honestly I think about the time that we went through because I was actually going to move to the US when he, he got in, in, inaugurated. We were out there and I was doing interviews and meetings and stuff, and like the conversation that I was trying to have with the family, it was not happening under the idea of him being a leader of the country and it was like guns trump healthcare no but we had to go back home but to see him now with his last stand still trying to really hold on to that power this is what desperation looks like and it's no funny year because as i'm somebody that i just i really follow the laws of the universe and when the universe is fighting me i stop i don't want to go against the laws of nature trying to like people trying to remove me I think he's got a massive case with the New York um, attorney's office. Like, so they're trying to, you know, have, have him put in prison and he's still trying it. I just take a minute, bro. Take a minute and just sit. But I do think there'll be some people who will sign up. There just isn't enough critical mass for it to become anything of, of value. It will just be a, a big announcement. A few thousand people will join. They'll realize it's an echo chamber. There's no one to argue with and it will shut down. Anybody else? Auntie, Auntie Shade. <laughs> On Donald J. Trump. Trump. Yeah, you're going to register with Truth Social. Definitely. Can I just say what it's described as? On its website, Truth Social, Truth, it's just a freaking tongue twister. Truth Social describes itself as a big tent social media platform that encourages an open, free, and honest global conversation without discriminating against political ideology. Auntie Sade, how do you feel? Um, <laughs> not impressed. <laughs> um, yeah, I just. Nah, he's like like Uncle Marvin said, he's desperate, isn't he? Like, I actually, I think this is why I think this is the first step in identifying his tribe. And then you need to track them and then put them on their own little island, <laughs> let them play amongst themselves. That's what I think. I just hopefully that this will blow up in his face. Hopefully he'll get prosecuted or his company will lose money through the trials that him and his kids are going to go through and have to answer to in New York. Hopefully this will remove any sort of energy enthusiasm that he has for running in 2024. Like, I just really hope that this is the start of the actual real downfall of him. Yeah. Auntie Nana. I was just reading through the article and seeing like all of the classic PR things that they've got out there that due to so much demand, I've been put on a waiting list and there's limited amount of spaces that are available to be on this platform and all of that jazz. I don't know. I don't think Trump is going anywhere. I think there are plenty of Americans that absolutely still support him. Not even just Americans, people around the world really still look up to Trump like he is some type of saviour. And he's like against the elite and not really a part of them, although he's a part of them. It's very strange, but I would, I absolutely would not be surprised if he wins in 2024 and he's back again. That could absolutely happening, but I wouldn't sign up to truth because it's probably being tracked, probably affiliated with the Russians. I, I wouldn't go on it personally, but you know. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised, Auntie Nana. I can't lie. Did you see my face? Before <laughs> you started talking, I was going to say, and to the auntie that is going to sign up for you. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Auntie Sarah, not on your burner account, no. Yeah. I'm surprised, no. Auntie Nana. I thought you'd be awful. And Josh, don't tell anybody about the burners. Oh, no, sorry, no, sorry. Not, I'm, not, I'm not doing anything on Truth Show, no, no, no. no. <laughs> Auntie Farah, how do you feel about Truth Social? Oh, no. That's not even a question. You don't promote them bad boy then. Nah, I'm not about that. I'm like, it just makes me laugh that it's called Truth Social. Truth. Okay. The Trump truth, which is bullshit, bullshit, followed by more bullshit. And you're absolutely right, Auntie Sade. He's like just weeding out his set of people. But I think the dream would be for them to all go and live on an island somewhere and leave everybody else alone. But I don't think that's his dream. I think he's trying to form the next riot, basically. I think it's a platform for him to chat shit on. But it's, he's got... The thing is, doesn't he owe so much money and you're going to do something? This it's, it's just insane that he's even allowed to talk. I just don't even understand what's going on. And his son bothers me more than he does, actually. <laughs> Like, his son, do, do you not remember when those guys got found, no, the guy, the 17-year-old got found not guilty? Yeah. Shooting in, uh, during the... Um, in house. Mm, it's, yeah. yeah, he's one of us or something like that. And it's a great day for America with a picture of that boy. And then when the other ones um, got found guilty, for the um, I always get his name wrong, Ahmad Aubrey, is that mm. his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was, like, saying it's a sad day for America or some shit like that. Like, he worries me more because he's younger Technically, he's got more years in him, and I can see him trying to run for president. And yeah, if he doesn't go jail. stranger things have happened. Yeah, say, yeah, the... he, uh, he's I'm... going prison though. Yeah, right. Willie. He, yeah, he's sloppy. He's going prison. They're, they're not as good as their dad. He's waste. Like he's he's going down soon. And his alleged habit is lets him down a lot. Allegedly, yeah. and I'm moving on. I have nothing to say about truth social because it's not truth, and that's it. <laughs> Big piece of chicken. Guys, Auntie Nana, like yeah, no, no, we've got one question. We've got one comment that's come through, and it's okay, from Marina, who says, "I agree with Marvin. It's not globally significant, likely to become a breeding ground for numnut wannabe terrorists." And that's perfect. <laughs> Auntie Nana, <laughs> play, play the clip about the big piece of chicken, please, and we shall lead on from um, that. Don't have the same lifestyle, okay? Some of y'all may get food stamps. Some of y'all working and providing food for your household. Yes, ladies, some of y'all ladies working will either get food stamps and you're providing the food for your household and this man just coming over eating. I don't blame you feed your kids first. If that's the case, no. But when you got a provider and a protector and every piece of food come through that dough come from his blood and sweat, yeah, you gonna feed him first, yes. Uh-huh. My husband on work from dust to dawn, and baby, when he out. come through this door falling out, yeah, we all getting on the kids. Y'all pulling boots off while I'm in here fixing the plate. And yeah, we finna get dead. Okay, guys. What do you, what, I don't know, I don't even understand why this is still going on, but it is. The socials are picking this up. Everyone's talking about it. Big piece of chicken. I'm going to... Auntie... Well, the crux of what she was saying, because she didn't get there, it's you feed your uh, man first, and yes. your man should get the big piece of chicken. If he's a provider, she blatantly said it. What, yeah. Does your man get the big? Does your husband get the big piece of chicken, Auntie Nana? No. no. Why are you saying it with this? No. We don't have a household like that. But I do actually agree with what she's saying. But we don't have a ha- household like that because we're equal partners. 
So he cooks more than me and do you we don't really do <laughs> we don't do daddy size portions for anybody. We're all trying to lose weight. If anything, the kids <laughs> get the most food <laughs> out of the two of us. But there really isn't the, the kind of whole he eats first or any of that. It doesn't really go like that at all. We eat when we're going to eat or we're eating all together. We don't have a household like that. But in the instance that she's talking about, if I was a housewife and I was being catered for in all the, and I didn't work and he paid for everything and doing everything, then I would cater to him in that way. But we don't have that household because I'm not that woman. Auntie Farah, big piece of chicken. Now, everyone knows I like food, so I get the big piece of chicken. I don't, like, it's me and my daughter in the house, isn't it? So <laughs> that's, it is what it is. But I am from an environment where I come from, from, fa- from a family where there is no man that gets the big piece of chicken. It's pretty much like what Auntie Nana said. My grand and granddad were like that. My mum and my stepdad are like that. My, my cousin and her husbands were like that. That's what I see. It isn't a case of everyone in my family, everyone, when you dish out your food, everyone kind of eats together. So it's not, you're the man. Here's a tray, a golden tray. You're going to get it first. I'm going to get on my knees and serve you. You can eat off my back type scenario. There's none of that yeah. shit. Everyone, you know, so it doesn't resonate to me. And even, I think even if I'm a housewife, I'm doing shit at home. I've been at home all day doing shit. Like, what do you think I'm doing when you're at work, sitting down, filing my nose, having a hot soapy bath? No, I'm not. I'm doing shit. So maybe when you come home, you cook for me sometimes. How about that? My room was complete opposite. So, like, my dad was definitely the head of the household. And he ate first. He had me and my sisters. My sister, actually, me and her, we were in charge of cooking. I cooked for the kids. She cooked for our parents for the most part. And yeah, my dad would get served. So yeah, we did have a tray. No one was eating off anyone's back, but there was a tray <laughs> for sure. We had to bring him water to wash hands before mm-hmm. and after the meal. Yeah. And his opinion mattered on food and all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, so that that was how I was brought up. So for on me though <laughs> <laughs> I have done that. <laughs> I'm not going to say and lie. I have done that before. I was very, because from training and all that kind of stuff, I don't know any better and everything like that. And I thought that was like the key of being a good woman. That's the kind of thing that you do. Despite being a housework, like you still have to be educated and work and all that kind of stuff. But you do that as well. And I've done all that. Cooking for me is, it's like, torture to me like I don't like doing it like I actually can cook I just choose not to and I have chosen not to for many years I tell men I can't cook as well just to get them off my back I just I'm just not interested in playing that role like I really am not at all it just makes me it doesn't make me happy some people cook and they feel joy and they're like oh I'm wanting to eat this and feel some type of way I'm just like the fuck am I doing? My face is getting steamed. Like, I just can't stand it. And then the food's over in like a couple of minutes. Like, I just hate the whole process. There's just no two ways about it. There's nothing 
in this world that will make me play that role ever again. Like, I'm just so against it. It's just unreal. And that might be because of, like, experiences and stuff and everything like that. And I just don't think it's balanced. Like, the amount of time and effort and energy I'm putting into this, what am I getting from you? Mm. And yes, that might sound a bit transactional. I don't care. It's not, it's not fair. And I don't want it. So, no, I can't see myself... But isn't that different to what she's saying? Because I have cooked for men before. If I'm dating a man and you come round to my house and I cook... But he's a provide... If he's providing... Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I think what she's saying to what you said you've done in the past, I think what you've done in the past is different to, like, what she's saying. I would probably never be a housewife. Like, I probably would never. I I do want to soft life, but I probably wouldn't just be a housewife. Like, I say just, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I can definitely like, say that I've cooked for a man. And but even if I was a housewife, no, I'm not going to do that. I would rather we have money. Either we live in a country where house help is okay, like Nigeria or Ghana, or we make enough to have someone that provides the meals. I'm not doing that shit. Uncle Marvin. So. Yeah, for me, all of this is really contextual. Like, I... I always want to help and serve it's just if like, sometimes someone's like ravishing and they're really hungry and you just you just serve them in that time because i know what hangriness is like you, you're there <laughs> to then like create urgency for what's impacting them i don't have a predefined rule the big piece of chicken i think it was like at a time where men specifically black men were like hardened down by labor yeah like i think about fences and he's working in the plant all day. Yeah, give him the bigger, because he needs the energy to go back and do it again. Maybe that's the thing. But I, I just think a lot of these things, and this is really big in the US as well, these like really strong patriarchal ideas about what men are, and they haven't been updated in any way, shape or form. And sometimes it is a bit of a healthy conversation because you can slip into these roles like subconsciously. But a lot of it is just like patriarchal bullshit. Like, I'm sorry if I'm swearing and I'm not allowed to, but like, it's just nonsense. And like, these really strong ideas about chicken. I want the big piece. And if I don't get the big piece, you don't respect me. So then what? I'm not going to destroy my family over a bigger piece of chicken. If I feel like today I am hungrier and I I didn't get lunch, money's tight, I got to go do something tomorrow, then yeah, maybe give me a bit more to get me through. Because historically, even like having one meal a day or a one and a half meal a day that you'd eat, and that would have to carry you until a significant period of time. Then more food mattered. I don't think many of us are in those type of environments. And I also just think like when you do listen and you just you respond contextually, it you don't even really notice. It's just I always think my, my work is always slightly more relaxed uh, and I'm in more control of my day. And I think like Nanina's by a clock. So if I come in and she's still by the clock, I just take over. And I think the last thing to say as well is just like often the framing of the work of a man is like a money providing is so basic and also most of us it's very difficult to survive on one income anyway so if you're at home the housewife idea has been lost for at least 20 years like you sitting at home and just treating yourself that's such a white male idea like most of us have to like no matter how well you think you're doing you're trying to get over generational curses so i'm not hand i wasn't handed like a quarter of a million pound house or from a grandparent who passed away to use as a foundation to be like do you know what honey take six months off if you take six months off i've got to bleed out of my eyes to cover (laughs) what you're you're missing i just think a lot of it needs to be rewritten actually in my book what i've written 
Um, we'll sorry, get on to that. No, I actually forgot about, about <laughs> in my we'll book, I'll talk that. about it. But yeah, there's some, some new ideas and invitations at that time about what actually works and what can be done. I Listen, as you said it, um, Uncle Marvin, it's the fact that the man, essentially in time and memorial, is, is that he's got the bigger appetite. So that just makes sense. Logically, you get more food, not because he's a man out in the fields. Do you know what I mean? So it just, it's silly to me. And to me, whoever did the cooking, I feel like everyone should get the piece that they like. I like breast. So if my man That's likes the breast and the chicken breast, not the... Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm it's me and you today, Emma. I'm going to fight you <laughs> online. I, to, for the record, I'm, I like chicken breast. <laughs> not human breast, I'm afraid. Maybe my life will be easier if I do. Yeah, so um, chicken breasts. I like that piece. And side breast. So if my man likes the same piece, as long as there's enough to go around, whoever's doing the cooking needs to cook enough so that everybody gets the piece that they like. If we're talking about the actual chicken here, like why is there a shortage of chicken in this modern day? Back in the day, I understand, but this modern day, there should be enough chicken to go around, or you cook something else. Whatever, everyone should get the piece that they like. But yeah, everything that everyone else said, uh, I'm not. I've served a man before. I have no problem with that. If they're deserving in other ways, if they meet the mark of what it is a good man to me then you can get served but it doesn't mean to say that you just get all the food and i sit there hungry because you're a man that's stupid yeah have we got any more comments on that <laughs> yes Denise <laughs> says people are stuck on the idea that the idea of women serving the man but it's a trade-off by being the sole provider the man is also serving his wife and his family Candy says, I think sometimes a person who has the hardest day should get the big portion, just sometimes when you know they're going through it. I agree. And for context, I'm also a breast man and I'm not talking about chicken either. I said what I said. That is also from me. Oh, or me. I love that Auntie Nana <laughs> had to read that out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Miss Latang says also depends on children's ages. Five years old cannot eat a grown man or woman's portion. I, sorry, I, Auntie Candice, I really think whoever's had the hardest day should get the big portion, but I just don't think it should be rationalized. I, you've had a hard day, you can have more food, but I'm also going to eat food if I'm hungry. Yeah, just run a bath, do or something else. else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to take all the food because you had a long day. If I'm hungry, why should you get more food than me? I'm hungry. <laughs> My stomach should rumble because you weren't late. Because <laughs> <laughs> a meeting ran over. <laughs> the woman's the sole provider. You don't get the same treatment. From exactly. Them. You just don't. Like seriously, and that you'll be looking at them. What? What did you do all day? Like, trying to make. Trying <laughs> <laughs> to come for my food. I, must be I think in some households, though, that's how it goes. If the woman is the one going out to work, mm-hmm. I would be coming home and being like, what, 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 what were you doing? I would love, <laughs> yeah, always be in love that for her. <laughs> Whatever the agreement is, it is. But no one should be going hungry because someone had a longer hour shift. That's it. No, there it's shouldn't be sense. any hunger. But I, I did exactly the same thing as what Auntie Sade was saying. I remember when my dad was at home, it was the same. Yeah, I had to go and knock on the door and be like, Daddy, the table's ready. Yeah. He would come upstairs. There was a bowl there. All I'm not doing any of that. So maybe that's the kind of the schism because I had to do that service for my dad and my mum was there. It's just no for a good man, I would probably do it, but it's I, I have that resistance to doing it because I was doing it for my dad, who wasn't the greatest dad. 
So it's like, no, I'm not going to do it. But then I have a husband who is a really good dad, but I still, there's a schism there. I still wouldn't do that. I'm not doing it. How else are you putting it down to get yourself served? That's the question. I don't think that, this is what I'm saying. There's nothing. I'm not doing, I'm not doing that shit. If you come to my house and I cook, you will get a plate. But I'm not like, here's a bowl. No, I just, no, that's 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 what I'm saying. There's also There's different, there's differences, isn't it? Like I said. It's cultural. It's cultural. cultural. The thing is, what I'm saying, that is my culture and I'm not going to do it. That's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I think that I have definitely cooked for men before, but that's because I like to cook. So if you're going to come to my no. house, and I also like food, I like to eat. So if you're going to eat, yeah, but I like to allow him to entertain. So I like to cook. So to me, that's not no big deal. But what I'm not doing is serving you. You're the king. That's not happening. Like I will dish both our foods out. My plate may be bigger than yours, and I'll put there and we'll eat. That's what will happen. <laughs> what were you going to say, Uncle Marvin? I was going to say, would you allow him to entertain the company of someone who does allow those things to happen and facilitates him in that way? No. Oh, go, go, then. You're a whole woman. Then leave me. Why? Wait, what are their intentions? What, the maid? Can you... Just, just, can just, you just, to, feed, just to feed him selflessly. Just to feed no? him like he's hungry. He's hungry. He's hungry. He's hungry. Marvin is trolling. Infantile man is this? Like, he needs somebody to feed him. Here you go. a friend that really understands that I'm really hungry. Mm-mm. Whatever. <laughs> go go live with that nonsense. Okay, I can't even. Quickly before we go wrap up and go on to getting into Uncle Marvin's business. Do you want to talk about William and Kate deport the de- deportation no. flight? ZZ Mills, which is more man and woman stuff, responding to Nicki Minaj's tweet about women doing things for themselves and not for men, because Nicki Minaj says that men, we don't dress for you, we don't do this for you. But ZZ was like, don't lie, we do. I quickly want to talk about William and Kate. I know not everyone does, but it doesn't okay. need to be a conversation. I just need to make this point. So there was a scheduled flight for Jamaica um, deportation flight, and it was scheduled for February, which is quite unusual at this time of the year. However, because William and Kate are on their tour for of the Caribbean to try and make sure that certain countries don't do a Barbados and kick away the Queen, they have delayed said flight. And it's because they don't want to go there and face backlash from people. Now, again, the reason why I'm bringing it up is because I think it's the audacity of them to... To, you know, postpone this flight temporarily so that they can keep one of their colonies so that then they're going to send people back that have been here working their asses off and just living here all their lives who they deem to not actually be British. It is just, this is the reasons why anyone that's in the Commonwealth, hear me now, Grenada. We don't need the Queen on our money. She does nothing for us. Get rid of her. Barbados surprisingly one of the countries to do this and I just think everyone else needs to follow suit it just amazes me that this is they've stopped it because of flipping William and Kate I didn't think of it as a publicity tour to make sure that the natives are happy with them that's interesting yeah, 100%. yeah. that's what no, it is the story between that the queen paying for Andrew's sexual harassment fees do you know what I mean Co- well, we we're not going to be queen we're not they're not going to stay in <laughs> they're not they're not they like we don't have the internet they feel yeah, like the, the yeah. internet doesn't exist yes. in Jamaica like we can't just google the messed up things that they, they have done and it's jarring I just yes. like and Will and Kate are just like blood clots anyway so I, I'm not too the biggest. I'm not too fussed about them I, I used to actually like the idea of like a younger 
monarchy because the tax money is gone anyway. I ain't like to say, yes, I do have a say and I believe in all those things, but the reality is they take it. They're taking the same amount, whether there's a monarchy or not. So go on with yourself. But at least it's fun to have a young version of that tradition. And they were looking to make it a bit more, you know, interesting and relevant. But for me, whatever happened past Meghan Markle, I'm wrapped with that whole concept. Like, wrap it up. 100%. Mate. Yeah. yeah, Will and Kate are exactly the same as Charles and Camilla. It's the same Absolutely. people. Like, yeah. they're, they're younger, and I still want Charles to get his because he's just been waiting for so long. I get it. Thank no, you, Auntie Sade. He probably isn't going to because his mum's going to live to a hundred and flipping thirty. Does get there? I, I don't want. Wanna... He only gets like six months, and then he pegs it, and that's all he got. Like that is harsh, but that could be a reality. But then we'll have Queen Camilla. No, she won't. She'll get pushed out. She'll be like the Queen Mother. And it no, no, I don't mean that. I mean, as soon as Charles becomes king, they've said that she is going she's to be queen. Yeah, that, that's why I think something's wrong, man. I, you know what? I don't know. I, I think something's up. They're, they're doing all these things and these announcements. They're lining stuff up. They're yeah. trying to deflect from Andrew. That's what it is. They are. Can we burn the monarchy? I'm so, I'd never want to rush your show, yes. but I, it's really, it's giving me visceral reactions <laughs> internally. And I want to say more things, which I just think was unnecessary. Okay, so Neodate says, Barbados have taken a loan from China to build roads out of the frying pan and into the fire. Question mark. China are everywhere in the Caribbean. Like, everywhere. everywhere. I was driving around yeah. Grenada and I was like, sponsored by China. It's like that yeah. over there. I mean, yeah. Everywhere, everywhere. Who knows what's going to happen, though? Because remember, at one stage, the uh, the British were everywhere exactly. as well. Exactly. Exactly. What's the difference? <laughs> it's a problem, yo. It's a problem. Yeah. Okay. You're listening to Your Auntie Could Never, a podcast for cool aunties and uncles everywhere, where you hear no nonsense, straight talkings. And now it's time for... <clears throat> <clears throat> aunties, get in your business. <laughs> Aunties, get in your business. Get in your business. No, I don't like that. Oh, you don't like that? Oh, oh okay. No, no. Listen, when I get the board and I start having gunshots, I'm pew, 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 pew. Yeah, I don't mind the gunshots. We're not doing pew, pew, pew. That's not a gunshot. That's too it's too much. Oh, it was actually a good rendition if you didn't screw up your face. It was actually quite good. <laughs> what was it? That was the drum solo in the remix. Thank you very much. We'll record that and have it later. This now it's time to get in your business. We have a special guest who's joined us before when we went after dark talking about all sorts of um after dark stuff. There's black Martin Harrison. Welcome. Hi, family. Always thank you for inviting me, though. Can I come back at least once a year, please? Just as of like course. a thing. That'd be great. Of course, man. Of course, man. Yeah, yeah, welcome. Very welcome. Actually, no, you're in my bad books a little bit today, but it's fine. Why? Because you were cheeky, Uncle Marvin. <laughs> it was two times. I won't do it again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Lies and propaganda. <laughs> but we would also like to come on Dope Black Dads as well. And yeah, come hang chat. out. Yes, please. We're retiring soon anyway, because I've had 400 podcast conversations. I have nothing else to say. I've said everything. Serious? Uh, wait, we'll get on to it. Wait. Yeah, all right. First of all, Uncle, Uncle Marvin, introduce us. Introduce yourself and tell us what you do. Please. Hi, my name is Marvin Harrison. I'm the founder of Dope Black Dads, also the founder of Dope Black Men. You can also catch me every other Sunday on BBC Five Live between 10 and 12 p.m. on the Laura Whitmore Breakfast Show. You can also find me. I'm an author of children and adult books, and I'm also a friend to many. 
<laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Auntie Farah, over to you. <laughs> I think you're kind of de- demonstrating this already, and I think I know what the answer is going to be. But what were you like in school? What type of guy were you? Which crew did you have? Did you fit into? What were your perspectives on other black men, black boys, their position in society, that type of thing, darling? Um, I, I was always a floater, and I, I didn't like the idea of being defined still now so i i used to hang around with and i'm going to use some tropes from the 90s just because that's how it was conceptualized at the time we'd be like the the, the smart south asian kids that wore glasses and wore the shoes from barrett's those everyone did them fit those kids and also just the cockney working class white boys and i play football with all the black kids the majority of the ones that play football even the turkish guys who i went to hybrid grove in islington there was a large turkish and cypriot community so i learned all the swear words i used to just move around I, i think i've identified and this is what eight years of therapy gives you is that I realized that I'm just an individual. That's my gift, is I move wherever I feel and I go where I'm going. I never really had a crew. I had a, I've always had one or two very good friends at each stage of my development. Primary school, secondary school, there was like one. Primary school, there was two. Post, uh, like college years, there was like three of us. University, four of us. It's just very tight, small groups. And I still speak to most of those people now. And so they're like the backbone who know me. And then after that, everything's just very contextual relationships. Just I like doing dinner with you. So we do dinner. So that's how my relationship goes. Oh, in terms of what men were like, you know, in the the 90s and 2000s, it was rough, man. It was rough. You was more more focused if your hair was picky and if your legs were creamed. Those were the big markers of what kind of boy you were and if you could afford nights as a family. A lot of the kids in us, in my school and in my area, a lot of them succumbed to the roads or just bad education and, and the behavioral challenges. And like, you know, I later on found that I had ADHD. So it was like, for me, it was weird navigating school because I felt like I was crushing it. I thought I was doing a great job and, and they never did. <laughs> and I was like, and so it was really interesting and I always felt slightly displaced. I had some horrific teacher moments of just like, defining me to gel and nothingness. And so I think about them now, but in many ways, it was just a tough man. I think a lot of boys of that generation, like stabbings was huge. It entered a little bit into guns as I got into sort of 16 to 18, but stabbings was huge at the time. Constant fighting. I don't know any guy... I did a podcast with me, Poet, and Pops, who used to play in the NBA, but he's from Tottenham. We did a podcast together, and it was the most traumatic reliving of being, like, under 18 ever. We just, we all have it. Like, now, there's still a piece of me that if I'm, if someone's doing something, like, attacking me, I feel the visceral, like, desire to go and defend myself because it's just so natural. And, like, for 10 years, it was either that or you were the victim. So you just you become an aggressor. You become someone that has to confront everything really aggressively. Otherwise, what could come back could be life-changing. And so, yeah, those the guys of that era, they still live in it now, man. It's, we need some PTSD for black men. And maybe this is why in dating realm, you're really struggling. Because I know if you grew up on an estate or in one of those schools in one of those areas, you were literally facing it. I used to have to take really long routes home sometimes. Because someone would be like, I'm going to stab you. And you're like, that may happen. So I used to have to go an extra 20 minutes in the wrong direction to avoid this confrontation. And it's just, that's way too common of a story within the men in our community. Okay, so when did it click for you to basically rebrand what it means to be a black father? 
in many ways, yeah, what's interesting is like, I, I told you guys about this idea of me being ungovernable, yeah? My vision of being an incredible father, I was doing it at the time where I genuinely thought I was not doing a great job. So I lacked the connection to what was truthfully happening. I was present, I was active, I was putting my best foot forward. Sometimes when you have children um, under three, they just don't want you as a dad. They want a maternal energy, they want their mother. That's where they've had their, their greatest bond and connection. So your job and your mission at that time is to create the capsule and secure the capsule. And it is to play a support role at times. It isn't like leading, but if you're not emotionally developed enough to be able to be a support function, for years, it really wreaks havoc. So at the point where I just didn't understand what was going on, I was like, I've waited my whole life for this. Why is this not feeling good? Like, why am I not in this family? Why do I feel like I'm outside this family? I feel like I'm an assistant to what's going on. And so I just raised my hand. It's really weird because I raised my hand and I said, this isn't working for me. Then I went into a whole work stream of creating all this stuff for other people and like this movement and da 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 da. I never actually did any work on the thing that was bugging me in the beginning. So I just went into fixer mode. And this is where like my masculinity is just like, I'm gonna help. And someone's like, this really works. I'm like, it doesn't it, let's do this more. And then before you know, we're in three countries, thousands of dads, we're on the news every week. But inside, I hadn't challenged a single thing. So I had to go to the mountains in 2020. Like there was no, 2021, there was no way I could continue in the, room, the realm that I was in. I was just giving an absurd amount and in that, I realized how much I was already doing. And actually, because I then created all of these things, there's so much work, so much distraction from what the original mission was, I was actually not doing the things I was doing in the pursuit of the thing that I was already not doing. Does that make sense? For me, it was a really important adjustment. And now the relationship's incredible because now they're like four and six. I'm, I'm their hero. Like, I, lo I, love, I just love walking in the door. I, like, I, I get prepped, you know, I come in, walk in, and I know as soon as I go, and it's like a jump and a hug nobody in the world will ever care for you that much never so <laughs> i have the thing that i've always wanted and it just took a minute of not paying attention to it to realize that i had it and now i'm internally grateful so it's been an incredible experience like four and six is an amazing time anyone that's it's just the best you talked a little bit about don't back dad's there how did you come up with the name in the first place and were like the first whatsapp conversations like yeah, so my, my, what, what basically happened, so this was 2017, and I just reached a plateau. My career was going well, my family was strong, we're starting to make consistent money now, everything's going really well, but I felt a hole. And again, this is where therapy, if you're in a therapy earlier and you start challenging these things, you don't go on these journeys. But I was like, I sat down, I was like, what is the dope things that we want to experience? What does the perfect day look like? What does the perfect scenario look like? And I just embarked on creating it. It was called a dope shit list. That was, and so that, that was the language that was moving around. Then when my daughter actually came in 2018 and like some old things that were undealt with like really landed like a, a square punch in the face. So I'm just like, this is really painful. So that's six months from January to Father's Day. I was with, that's when I was really challenged. And I think in that, the language of, I want to feel like a dope black dad. It was very literal. And then obviously as a colloquialism, it then lands. And, and I think the, the language of it makes people lean in a bit. But it's us, it's our words, it's our language. Because when you, every time I speak to someone that's older and white, they think it's like drugs or stupid or something. <laughs> and it's like, my, my friend, why would I create that and wear it on my top? But yeah, so the early conversations for me were really transformative. And it, I, don't, I haven't really spent time with that large group of men on a regular basis before. 
So hearing their daily thoughts and experiences really validated a lot of what was happening for me, but also just gave me a real empathy and connection to what can happen to you as a man and the journey you've gone on. So even the thing about being a state culture, then you become, you're 16, then you get a job, and then before you know it, you're late 20s and you're trying to find a partner. You haven't dealt with anything. So you're technically a man, but you're experiencing boy-like emotions and experiences. And this is where we have a massive disconnect. And this is where us as, mas as masculinity, we have to challenge these things earlier because I st I'm still thinking I'm on an estate trying to get out and I'm not. I'm like 30 with two kids and I'm, I'm married and I'm like, I'm doing real adult things in the world. But emotionally, it just felt like I was like very easily moved. And that's a whole journey. So the conversation for me is what made it worth doing and made it really valuable. But also, we was never meant to be anything. And so that's also a bit of a thing. We never planned to make it something that was big and even the external, it just gradually happened. So a lot of the foundations, like if someone said, I'm gonna create an organization, it would, you would create it with an intention and clear and clarity in it. We were like some dudes and then we're like, oh, this works. And then we tried this and it was like, oh, we do a podcast. And it was like, oh, let's do a picnic and bring our families. Then we bring that. And then if someone wants to give us money, what should we do? Then we like set up an organization. There's like, well, what's the rules and what's the purpose? We're doing this after the fact. And so I think we were the guinea pig and then there's some pain points, but then at the end of it, there's almost like a blueprint now of how to create social change, create a community, create a podcast, social media. And there's now like tens of them. There's hundreds of them around that have followed that very similar model that represents them. And for me, that's really beautiful and it's great that's happened. Thank you. So you talked about validation and the moments of validation that came out of this group evolving, but what's been the biggest surprise or revelation to come out of Dope Black Dads and maybe a teachable moment for yourself about maybe why it's proved so important? The, the memorable moment is men are incredibly beautiful and powerful and I struggle. So it's weird because like I'm holding this space where there's things I genuinely believe about women. I'm trying to hold that space and be like, we have to create new environments and conditions for men, women to survive in. The language and the discourse around men about being trash or I, I understand, but it's really hard to accept that as a final statement and let it go unchallenged. Because I know what the damage it does to the men that are trying and the climate that it creates. And like the level of disappointment when it's said to someone, it cuts. And so for me, the language is unworkable, but I understand it. And that's a really hard place to sit and, and have that conversation with someone who's been hurt and been cheated on and been threatened and been feel like made to feel like worthless. And they have this now understanding and they're sharing it. And then in that, I'm sharing what I feel, which is like men are not doing as great as you potentially feel. And the things like suicide and violence against men is absurdly high as it is for women. So we, why don't we just look at it as, I have to honor what you've, you've experienced, but I think there's a much bigger problem. We haven't figured out how men and women get together on these feelings for a workable answer. And maybe it's not time yet. Maybe it's still like, you do your work, we're doing ours. So I more focus on male work now. And when we do our meetings every month, we've got one coming up at the end of March. It's really just about us holding each other accountable and being like, actually, you can't do things amongst us in this space because we're not going to have it. And we need you to repair. We need you to acknowledge. We need, only we can do that. I would hate for a woman to go to a group of men and have to hold them account on their behavior. It would probably be horrific. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's our labor. We're going to do it. We're going to hold that 
space for for the time going forward but it is a real challenge for us as men as that we need to feel good as well as, we, as we're progressing because you can't just be like and more and what else and do you know you haven't done enough because that energy doesn't no one grows in that even even if it's right so yeah I have a B question for you on that. It just popped into my head. So the podcast, um, Baby Fathers, has that come up in Dope Black Dads? And that kind of forum of discussion that they have there, where it literally is like lots of aggrieved dads coming forward with their story of not being able to see their kids. Is that something that in Dope Black Dads you guys talk about? And how do you counsel each other on that as well? Yeah, it comes up often. It's weird because it comes up often in the Facebook group. It's really visceral in, on Facebook. And huh? especially in the US, because I think the injustices are a bit more violent there and the, the imbalances are more violent there. It's just a really difficult thing to do because really without going into people's stories, which is no point doing, the objective is that men have to make the adjustment. Whatever. Because if you aggrieve somebody and they have ownership of the children legally and their primary carer, your mission is your children. It's not your feelings. And it's not the feelings of your partner. Your mission is your children. So you may have to concede whatever you think is right, whatever you think your truth is, to be able to be present, active, and loving. That takes real emotional work. It's not fancy words. And it doesn't come like that. It comes on a journey of acceptance that you may have impacted the mother of your children adversely. And now you've got a human being with, that looks like you in that house, and you're, you have to find a way to repair, to be a present, to create alleviation, not to load them even further, not to dishonor them any further. That takes real, because you're basically right. You can't be right in that scenario, in your feelings. You can't be right. You have to accept. And some men have rightly been aggrieved. It does happen in reverse. It's not always men doing stuff to women. It's women doing stuff to men. So in that, you have to have a balance. It takes real strength. It takes a real support system which we can provide some of, but your family, the wider women, I don't want to label women with the task of what you must do for men, but there is a, the way when women show up for men, it saves our lives, whether we think it's right or not. You talk about prostate cancer, you talk about anything that's wrong with men, when women stop and say, go to the doctor, show up for your children, that is the sobering moment that changes things. So yeah, that's interesting. Okay. So can you tell us a bit about Beloved Agency or Beloved? How is it you pronounce it? Beloved or Beloved? Beloved. I think the US pronunciation is Beloved, but we say Beloved. So Beloved is an idea based on Martin Luther King's philosophy of the Beloved community, which is what he was trying to create. And actually, Coretta Scott King was a large part of mobilising that, especially after he died. She doesn't actually really get credited very much how active she was. But that is about creating a world where we don't necessarily have to have kumbaya, but we don't need the worst parts of society. We don't need drug addiction. We don't need violence. We don't need extreme poverty. And actually, we can all participate. And so him bringing together the white working class, the black working class, the churches, the mosques, that for me is then you have volume that outnumbers whatever power structure we're talking about. So we based that on some of the philosophies of that and turned it into a solution to do cultural transformation for different companies. And we work with companies that's four people at a desk all the way up to I think our largest client has 230,000 people in it. But most of the work we do is just stealth and unknown. And it's funny when you see it in the world and people commenting on it, it takes a lot of labor to get companies to understand and it's a long-term journey. So most of our partners are on like a three, five, 10 year plan as to what change looks like. And we're in the trenches with them, like providing answers. So my business partner, Jess Malley, incredible woman. I met her on a Zoom call 
on post George Floyd, there was like nine work streams to solve the problems in blackness. And uh, I was somehow was invited to most of them. And it was just like, I'm sitting there and this one person is just like saying some really dope stuff. And I was like, I need you to help me with something. And very quickly it turned into beloved. And you know, we've been going for 18 months. But we're in the UK, US, our team's in South Africa with multinational, which is great. And it's all happened very quickly. It's great. And it sounds like a lot of work. Rewarding, but a lot of work. So how do you juggle that with all your other responsibility? Dope Blood Dads, like you said, you've got a lot of good things happening. You're on the BBC doing stuff. Like, how do you juggle all of that? Honestly, his team, like, Nina holds a lot of space for me in terms of how absent I end up having to be at times. I have a very strict structure as to when I'm available for different things. But a lot of things had to go. My heart is in, like, Dope Blood Dads because it came from my actual traumatic experience. Like, it's very difficult to disconnect that being a solution for me at a time where I was in an abyss. But when I think about the structural work we're doing with Beloved, we're changing companies who are changing conditions and climates and communities, and some of it's public sector, some of it's private, some of it's, we're actually doing that change. And, I, and for me, I think there's a, there is more value in the structural, but the social change matters. So I, I make sure that one day a month, I'm holding that meeting with as many men as possible. The last one had 150. We do it in the UK, US and South Africa. We sit down with men and we implant positive ideas about our experience. So it's one day a month in that we have, I work 10 till three so I can do school runs and I don't work outside of that. And then anything outside of that is filling my own cup, resting, just like doing things that make me recharge, things that I enjoy. So I started doing the football commentary on, on the kickoff. That's just me feeding my inner child. It has no worldly objective it's just me being fun and talking about Arteta hopefully staying in his job and doing a great job that you know that I need that too and then the Sunday broadcasting for me is just again fun like I want to talk about the news like it's just doing it on the BBC and then the books have been like a labor of love because they're way harder than I thought I thought I was gonna do it in a month and I was like oh I'm gonna take March 2020 out and I'm gonna do this book and I'm finishing at last bits of it now and it's due out in four months it's been a real labor of love but the book the adult book is very much about the dads and their voice I'm able to facilitate that and there's some incredible testimonies incredible that tiny temper was made me cry and then Ariche from uh, JLS I was on the I was on the phone to him for like two hours incredible human being like and the adversity that they go through and what comes out you don't like the things you're seeing is just the surface of what's possible so really excited about the book the kids book is just about affirmations and giving my children skills and what to say when they don't feel powerful and we do it we call we call it mirror talk but like we do it every single day whenever they're like i don't i can't do it we go into affirmations so that book is going to be great for children under five and give them the language that they need i love that But in all of that, because you're like the head of so many different facets of your organisations, do you actually feel like a real pressure to like be the best representation of a black man? Does that weigh deep on your shoulders? I must be the best. It it, it has done. Look, also because I really want it. I really want the change. I'm not here performatively. The things I don't care about the book deal to be like I'm an author. I don't care about being on any of those platforms to say I'm doing it and look at me. What I care is what conversations can I create? What conditions can I create? What change can I make? And my first method, which was just to defer to everybody else. So I had a lot of people around feeding me information that would allow me to stand in the room, say the right thing, be on point, and then get out and go do something else. So my whole approach was light touch. But then when some of those things weren't happening in the right way, 
I had to stop doing that. Like I had to actually, because I'm now I'm standing there as it's almost like I'm community man. And then, then you would say, Marvin, over there's a fire. So I go over and I'm putting this fire. And then someone will be like, no, we're burning, we're burning things for a good reason. Can you not put that out? And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And then you're getting, you become like a figurehead and you just end up being standing in places you shouldn't be standing. So I had to make adjust, real adjustments. And now I've realized that I had to become more in tune that my voice actually means something. And it didn't before. I was just saying as like a, an annoyed person, almost like an egg. I'm annoyed. And then people was like, yeah. And then before it, you got 10,000 people that care about what you're saying. And I, I didn't even have that connection. So I've got to be mindful about where I'm saying, what I'm saying. I've got to be mindful of where I'm going. But when I do speak, I want to be clear. I want to be informed. And I want to be able to stand by it after the fact, regardless of what the impact is. So my number one thing is authenticity. And this is why this idea of being ungovernable, because I, I don't want to be told. I know me. And I know you cannot take me. You can't buy, bribe me with money or opportunity and silence me by it. I remember when, you know, the BBC first started speaking to me and then they put the N-word on air for, two, for a whole week. I, I had zero, I had no tolerance. I was not impressed. I don't care what the opportunities are missed. And so authenticity is the number one thing. I, I'm prepared to lose stuff on that basis, but it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to maintain because sometimes you do nice things. I like the five-star hotels. I still like. I still want to go on holiday. I don't, I don't want to sit there in fight mode all day. I want to have peace. So now my relationship with peace is like at the top of my tree. It's like my children, peace, my mission. <laughs> so then, and then everything else just has to be whatever is left. So when I have moments like this to talk to you guys, it's just like a really nice thing to do. It's like I don't get that often. I, I, everything normally has a really high level of accountability and, and high demands on my time. But this is like fun to hang out and have this conversation. Cool. Cool. Your book. So how many books do you have? Two. And, Two. A, and another one next year, a children's book. Um, okay. So you're also, so the I Love Me book, mm. can you tell us a little bit about that and why you wrote it? Yeah. So it's interesting. So one, at some point in racial tension was happening I, I did a BBC News article and I was just talking about how do you, what do you say to your kids about race? And I was like, look, I want my kids to be bulletproof. Like one day, Pete, the world will meet Ocean Harrison. One day. <laughs> that girl is here for something. There's too much joy in this. So my whole thing is I need to preserve that. I, I cannot allow her to be chipped away and diminished by the world. I, so me, it was about how do I give her language about what she can be, about being possible rather than all the reasons why it doesn't work. And it's difficult. And I don't really intuitively understand it. I'm doing it academically. I'm trying to use intellect to connect to a spirit that's free right now. And I, so how do I keep this going? I was like, the language I do is we stand in front of the mirror. The other day she was like, I want straight hair, auntie. My mum and my aunt wear, wears wigs and weaves. Perfectly fine. There's nothing, I don't, I don't have a view on it. But for her to say that at three, I need to make sure I'm balancing that language of, I want straight here with how beautiful your hair is now. It's an and, it's not an all. So yes, yeah. Thursday you will have your hair out and then next week you could have it straight, but you were not doing that at this point. But like, I want her to have that language. So I am beautiful. My hair is beautiful. I love my hair. That's language that I would feed her in that moment. And I'll let her touch it and play with it. And I'll you know focus on the curls and be like, look, look what that does. It's so soft and it grows like this. And I make all of that heavily normalized. But you need the language and most parents don't have it. It's a very real skill of like psychology and, you know, coaching your children. That's, how, that's a new way of doing things. I'm a kid's coach. I don't 
parent them. I don't tell them what to do. I invite them into what's possible if they do that. They may not be able to do if they do that thing. If you draw on my walls, I'm not going to tell you don't draw on that walls, but if you do draw on that walls, you're going to have to wipe them until all of the drawing is off. Or we're going to have to repaint it. And I'll help, you know, I'm like, I'll do it with you. But what they learn is the labor of cleaning it makes them not want to do it. Not daddy told me. And then they learn in a different way. So it's a very difficult thing to do. It requires time. Having an amazing co-parent makes that possible. It does require a certain level of like space and money to be able to think in lateral broad terms. But that's one of the privileges that I have. So I, I want to make sure they're fed into my children and I want to give people the tools to use it in their own way. The book's going to be like six quid or something. Like it's an easy way to, to do it. And I'll probably end up trying to do, give stuff away for free and all that stuff anyway, but we'll see. Cool. Uh, just to pick up on that, you spoke about affirmations for your daughter and it's not, that seems like a, a given. Those are the common issues that girls deal with. They're quite in the forefront, but it's not often you think about boys especially black boys having insecurities and we're not raised typically to not acknowledge that. So can you expand on some of your, in your experience, what some of those insecurities for young black boys are and maybe actually what parents should look out for what you spotted? Yeah. One of the things that I did is that I want, uh, I wanted to invert some of the stereotypes. So with Blake, his challenges are about, I am beautiful. I am kind. Oceans is that I am powerful. And so what I want to do is just like the stereotypical things that may not be setting. Like how many times does Blake consider himself beautiful? Mm. Which is a wonderful, delicate observation of what masculinity could be. And I want him to have that language attributed to him also. I think what happens to young boys is they get dialed up so much, they don't use the full wheel of what's mm. possible. Like sometimes I just engage in a more feminine energy. Like it's, it doesn't yeah. disservice my masculinity. It just means like today I'm not going to be competitive in this moment i'm just gonna sit and it's funny because like in the last three years i've been doing a lot of work about balancing out my masculinity and in that it, it can be quite a difficult erratic experience for some people because you're shifting your possibilities and it might be inconsistent and i'm learning what that balance is but for me i think it's an important one but you only can do it in real time with real people you can't just do it in your mind because real things happen and then you, you naturally go to your masculine. And then you consider, do I use my feminine? And you're like, well, actually, no, you actually were a blood clot. I'm going to use my masculine. And yeah. then, you know, that experience is, it can be, you know, discerning for others. But I'm playing with it to get that balance in, the, in my life. So my son has healthy modeling. That's brilliant. Can I also, you're, you mentioned, you've got a bunch of projects going on. But I've heard that you're doing a retreat for men. Yes. You yeah. know I want to come on that retreat. Interesting. But I, 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 I want to come on the retreat. Hey, bruv. <laughs> bruv. You won't make it anyway, bro. It's, Why? It's Why? Anyway. You're going to make it, bro. Wrap, wrap that up, bro. Stay away from us as well, bro. We're, we're, we're doing the labor. Let, let us do our labor, bro. Don't okay, come here to sophisticate yourself and try and ha you have demands. I said we're going to retreat. Listen, tell us about the retreat, please. <laughs> so, so the retreat, yeah, is it's something that I did. I did it for 24 hours in my house. Um, I was live and I I, I live in Loughton, so I was like I, I had the house free. I was Airbnb in it, but I had it free. And I said to the, a couple of the guys, I was like, look just come what we're going to do we're going to come we're going to make food together yeah so we're connecting we're bonding we did a barbecue we put meat on a grill that's what i'm going to say, I'm gonna yeah. say we did a barbecue. <laughs> um, so we were cooking together and then we tried to stay up and talk all night but we uh, all of us are like overworked as active dads so by 11 30 <laughs> we tried to watch dave Chappelle and his last special we were all asleep big man snoring all in the living room in our in our uh, sleeping bags and then we woke up at 7 a.m why well, woke everyone up at 7 a.m made everyone coffee, went straight into work. And we did some intimacy workshop. 
And we asked every man, like, where do you get your intimacy from? And we labeled the six types of intimacy that are available. And we asked them to identify where you got it from. And it's incredible to watch as that when you do that, people discovering the gaps in their life and the things that they then seek because of the gaps in their life and because they weren't conscious of what was missing. We did that. And then we went out for a walk in Epping Forest. We did a little trial where everyone had to jump over a little um, water source and we connected as a group. And so I'm taking that and expanding it. We're doing it in partnership with Birch Community, which is in Wolven Abbey. Incredible group of people, just a guy. And this is where I think like white allies are vital because maybe no one in our community has access to how many acres of land that is of a giant stately home that they're going to let us have for an overnight stay to sit there and connect with ourselves. And I think for me, post-pandemic, the amount of men that have passed away from ill health the amount of men that I know who have been challenged mentally or sectioned, the amount of men have gone through extreme financial challenges. This, it requires someone to put their hand up and just be like, look, man, we've got to get a grapple on this because we can't let our families fall and fail. Do you know what I mean? So for me, it's just me being proactive, my gift of facilitation. I had a relationship, put those things together, but we'll do one in the US. We'll do one in Catskills in New York. We'll definitely do one in South Africa for sure. We just did a, a, a dad's picnic in South Africa. So, and all the, by the way, I have, there's not me by myself. There's a group of people, Tabo, Lebo, Sfiso. There's lots of people, Marvin, Marlon, Mark. There's people that are really helping and they take time out from their families to facilitate for free. There's no real money in this. There's nothing. We cover costs at best. And so for me, yeah, it's a, it's a really important mission that men are helping men, but I, it's my favorite thing to do. I get so much joy. So much joy. I did a breakfast in New York with the in Soho House with the dads. Oh my god! Like there's people like oh I'm just inventing like a platform. Oh I've been trading Bitcoin for seven years. Meet this person. Oh this is how you raise money. That's going on over there. It's a real connected per power circle of getting stuff done. So it's a very difficult thing to to do at times. I I, I don't want to do anything else with my 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 adult time. That's spare. Just quickly, I was joking slightly about also um, invading the retreat. But there is a conversation about, yes, black men need to heal themselves. I think there's definitely a solo conversation needs to be had amongst men. But I remember arguing, debating with a friend who did, I had a women's empowerment program. And I was like, maybe we should do a day, you could do a day for men and women to connect. Because I think we work on each, ourselves in our own groups, but we must find a way to come together. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? And how do we come together once everyone's fixed themselves, as it were? I, I don't think we're ready. I think what you can do is you can identify particular types of individuals who have a certain level of understanding that can share space. But it's very heavily curated. We tried to hold a space in South Africa, which has its challenges, but there were, there, we had a really good group of people. And within maybe four or five minutes, it gets to someone makes a joke, that's insensitive to gender. I think a guy made a joke about the women were talking about doing a, a full moon ceremony and he made a joke about witches. And then there was this whole debate about like language that's like anti-women. And then from his point of view, he's well in Zulu, which is what he said it in, there is no concept that you're referring to. So I'm only using the language that's available to me in English because we're speaking in English. So I don't see it that way. They're saying this divide that just comes in as we coexist. So for me, I don't think we're ready, but I think there's like moments where it's, we have shared values on a particular subject. We need to say we're going to collectively be against this. And when, that, when I created Dope Black originally and expanded it beyond just dads, I, that's really what I wanted. But I feel we weren't ready. It was really early. We also was in an environment that was wild. It was like racial tensions meets like COVID meets 
abject poverty and people dying everywhere. And then we're trying to like, it's in WhatsApp groups. It's not, we're not going to be able to make that structural change that way. But for me, like the people that lead those spaces, like Nina, Leanne, Roshan, Ketchy, what's the other lady's name? Sorry, um, it's escaping me from disabled Tali from Dope Black Queers. I, they're formidable to me. I want their representing those people is the right thing for it to be to be happening. They're the kind of people that I would like to be on the other side of the aisle to have that conversation. So long may they continue doing a great job, but we're not ready to just exist. It's going to be like touch points that we try to have that conversation, and then one day it will just land, and we'll get closer. Because we can't spend time apart. We need each other. Like we re- That's why I say black women save their men all the time, whether it's the right thing to do. But I guarantee you, if you talk, talk about to anyone that's had their health scare, the, the catalyst was a woman being like, that doesn't make sense. Go to a doctor now. And they'll take them. Like, we can't just leave them because it's like, oh, it's the labor. We need each other. So it's about how do we do that. Thank you. to answer this question because it's not like what's your end goal so, because I suppose that when you're doing so many things and you're achieving so much and you have a picture and one thing needs to let it and then things might develop from spaces that you never thought they could for example you meeting all these great people at Soho House when you did that breakfast but I suppose what I want to ask you is what are your goals what do you want to achieve out of all of this yeah, I, I think we're just trying to move the, na- the needle forward. I think when, when you have two grand of a... You have to understand the hum- the complexity of humanity means that there is no monolith in blackness where I can have a view and everyone's going to follow. I think there's about a thousand views in any group that we have that can conflict and compete. And I think as a result, we probably created the climate for another 50 versions of our group. So my thing is, if you don't get what you want from us, go create your own. I'd even help. I don't. I'm not particularly tribal about the methods also some people are anywhere on the political spectrum on on a different lived experience in terms of sexuality gender like all these things mean that you have a different worldview and you need something completely different so my mission is to be consistent and to actually have longevity because i know with the right people at the forefront of the conversation when big things happen who better now to go through a period like we just went through than someone who just did it even if it didn't go to my plan i was like I'm going to be honest, if I had to do that again, I know what I would do. Or you can say, I'm going to try and get someone new. It doesn't matter, but we need people who we can stand by, who can be stalwarts of what's actually happening and create some sense of calm and consistency, create an experience that's worth, that secures how we feel about what's going on. So yeah, my mission at the moment is just consistency and actually being there, being active and and helping people. But we've got to balance it out. And for me, my remedy is about economics. Like I know that the peace that you can bring to someone by putting an extra 1K a month in their pocket is maybe better than making them feel better about something that's not going on right in their life right now. It could actually be a trigger of like, now that I have some more financial support, I'm able to create some space, I can take that second job off and I can go and answer my own questions on my own. So my whole thing is about an invitation to answers. It's never about, we don't fix people, we don't have the complete solution. It's never about that. It's like, you're around people who can invite you to how to do things better and smarter, create opportunities for you, advance your business. Like that for me is, you know, a valuable resource. Excellent. Thank you very much, uh, Uncle Marvin. Now it's time mm-hmm. we're going to head into the quick fire round. This is where we get into your business. This is where when you're at the party, your aunties circle you and say, oh, <laughs> and tell us what, what, what you're getting into in your life. What's going on? So Auntie Nana, go on, get him. Okay. All right. So I love you, Nana. I remember I've known you since I was 19 years old. 
<laughs> it's true. But yeah, we've got all of this dope black man, this dope black dad, that. But are you a dope black cook? Can you cook, bruv? So it's a good oh. question, yeah, because I rate cooking significantly. Now, mm. outside of the core meat groups and the core vegetable groups and the core size, like mac and cheese is as complicated as it gets. I, I can make a mean Sunday roast with a, infused by Caribbeanisms and the diaspora. It will be tasty. You will look at me and think we could be together forever because this meal is that good. But when you start going into food that has is from the world and it requires a particular amount of seasoning and, you know, I can follow a recipe, but it's not in here. The way my grand used to make oxtail, I can't get close. She used to make banana fritters. Somehow when she made planting, it was just the most delicious thing. I never understood. My sister's still taking on some of that, but there's a cook who can make food no matter what's in the cupboard. And there's someone that can make en enough sufficient food to feed his family and you will not starve in my presence. Okay. Okay. And uh, tell us, what of your children? Are they trained? So my son can make prawn linguine. He can do breakfast. He can do, he can make meals. My daughter, less, but she's like, her cereal is her thing. But my son, my son, yeah, my, 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 my son can cook appropriate foods for whatever he needs. Most things that he needs to eat, he can make. He bakes a lot. And it's just natural. He, I don't think he even knows that it's important, especially that he's so cool. six. Mm. We, 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 yeah, yeah, but also, are they trained in life? Oh, no. Right. Come on, man. This, that, that's the one realm. So you see, Nina is great at detail, day-to-day. This is what they should be doing. This is where they need to be at. Like getting them through the paces of the day. Me, it's just big picture conversations all the time. If my son has a fit, we do some coaching. Like, what's happening for you right now? And he'd be like, I don't know. And I'm like, we'll do some mindfulness. I'm the one that's, let's do mindfulness before school. I'm pushing, for me, the things that are my gift, the things that I didn't know at the time. I made years of mistakes and errors, not knowing simple things about like balancing energies, understanding when there's sensations going on, not doing meditation, not doing yoga, not retreating to self. I'm just trying to get validation outside all the time, I give him all of that food. And he, it will mean more to him going into this part of his life. I think the theory is like, not to six, you need your mum. Six to 13, you need your dad. 13 plus, you need a mentor. And so this is where daddy kicks in, six to 13. I'm ready. Uh, also, I've actually never heard that, but that's no. interesting. Mm. Are, are you an uncle? I am. Oh, my nephew is amazing. I took okay. him to Black, Black British, UK Black British Business Week. He loved it. In that respect, what kind, what type of uncle are you? A absent but effective. <laughs> Time is not my friend. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. Like he, he's an incredible young man. Like the other day, he turned, his voice like, hey, uncle, he's taller than me now. Like a whole thing, special young man. But my brother led that. I chip in with the like when his voice gets tiring. I chip in with the down. Just like the new perspective. Like you thought about this, posing questions. But one time we went out to the the, the Black Business Week show. And so Raphael's gonna be mad that I destroyed his name. But we went out, out of the show and then we went for lunch. We're in lunch at McDonald's. And then I'm like sitting there like pondering, thinking about what else can I teach him? <laughs> like, he gets up, he goes, I'll be back in a sec. I'm sitting there like eating this dry ass way. I was actually eating sushi because I don't eat McDonald's. And I turn around and he's chatting some girl up. I was like, <gasps> <laughs> I was like, you know what, I'm done. Let's go. <laughs> I don't need That's me. That's the good thing about being an auntie or an uncle. You have those moments because they're not yours, but mm. you can appreciate. So you got a snap, which is basically the equivalent of a number now for us. Older That's folks. a number now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was just like, I'm really proud of you because I didn't have the confidence. I couldn't talk to girls until I was 18. I was shy as dirt, man. Oh, wow. I was going to mm. say, I was going to say, when did, was there a time you've ever had to get into uncle mode? 
like switch on your peak uncle. Yeah, no, I don't want to tell his business, but no, we had to have some real serious conversation. He's a growing man. He's a very handsome boy. He's in an area that's predominantly caucated and he's very much admired as a boy there, young man there. He's in and I, He's in demand. And, and I think handling those things early, my mum went hard on the conduct of women. If I, I would not cross those boundaries. So for me, it's so built into my head, almost so you end up not even being like powerful in some situations because you're like, I'm not playing. For him, he's got to learn that level of respect and honour, even more so now where there's more education and people will hold you to account. It's a very new thing to navigate as a young man in this era, you know, what you do. Like, I think even one time, one of the kids in his class had pictures of adult porn. And the school was like, yeah, but you're lucky that wasn't young people his own age. We was like, why? Wouldn't that be more appropriate? And they're like, no, because it's child porn then. I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Damn. Yes, of course. Yes. Whatever. <laughs> you just, you're not, you don't think in those things in that gaze. And it's just really important that we teach our, our, especially our young boys, but just all of our kids, basically those core things about how we conduct with each other going forward. So, we're obviously your favourite aunties. Even if you've got aunties, we're still your favourites. Just saying. Absolutely. But what I would like to know, as one of your favourite aunties, what we would all like to know, as your favourite aunties, tell us something that you have not told your mum or your dad. You're in a safe space. Why yeah. do they not know? No, oh. well, my mum's gangbusters. She, she knows everything as it happens. She's like that type of mum. I'm trying to think, what does she not know? I don't actually think what she knows what I do. <laughs> I don't think she knows what I do for my job. She has no idea. She just I think she's just accepted that I'm a human being in the world and I'm safe. Uh, what does she not know? Maybe something naughty that you've done that you'd only tell your favourite. I think so much in real life. I don't even know what's left. I think I'm <laughs> shredded all left. There's no hidden things available. I, I think maybe she doesn't know some of the things that happened at school, the level of violence that I was probably facing on a daily basis. She has no idea. But I told her when it got really bad, but the, the daily, like, people putting knives next to your, your stomach on a regular basis and oh, be like, wow. give me your 3210. How many times has that happened? She has no idea. And I think she would probably be aghast by it. But I, I've not really lived... It's funny because like, I did events. And so events promote a culture. It's always been like, yeah, you get girls. But I, this is what I noticed about my ADHD. I was so focused on the science of running an event, yeah? I didn't even enjoy the time. Like I did, I was, I was like, it was like, yeah. And they'd be like, oh, there's a beautiful girl over there. And I'd be like, hey, are you? I'm like doing customer service. Like I like it's McDonald's. Really happy that she's laughing in the front row. And I'm monitoring how many people came. Da, 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 da. And so I think I just, my mind's always been tuned into the mission. I'm not very good at the peopling thing. I didn't get engaged in many of those things at that time. Now, you know, I'm having probably a, a moment of considering what did I, what can I do with the rest of my years? I don't want to get old and be dry ass. I want to have fun and do memorable things. So we'll see what happens next year. All right. Okay. So next time when you come, we can probe you further on this one. Right, yeah, but tell us that you've done that is really good. That's going to make us really proud. Big yourself up. Do, do you know what? Yeah. And, and, I, and I never probably talk about this, but like some of the work we do as, as a company, yeah, like we've helped we, we've made some real... I'm trying not to say because I think it's also important for that company to have that discretion, but, like, doing things that genuinely, one, puts money in people's pockets. Like, working with companies to create funds or grants and, and ways that companies... Young black people of colour or young black women can get opportunities. We've done a lot of those things. And we've done a lot of things that, like, change the culture policies and the escalation policies, which I know where a lot of black people work. And they've got these huge ERGs 
and going in and changing those things. Multinational companies, it means something different everywhere else. But to create these changes, you have an escalation, you have a touch point, you have a mentor. I did an amazing workshop with WPP. I can talk about that because it was just a workshop with black men in the organization about how to stand strong and powerful in the workplace and add value to the workplace as you are. And we had these men and it was just like the most amazing transformative session. So all of those things that happen, they're just not seen. One day, it will, maybe it will land or maybe it just won't. But for me, that's the joy that I have. And we get to do that often with a lot of incredible companies and organizations. But my number one thing is I like putting money in people's pockets because I understand the, the weight of not having, especially on men, not having money is like the value system is still around men making money. So when they don't have it, they can be diminished and, and dismissed a bit. Being able to say, here's an extra something for doing something that's not very intense, but is a privilege to us because the space we hold is dope like dads. It brings me joy without the anything else about, attached to it. Talking about family, what's a family saying that you heard growing up that you hold on to? My whole inner voice is my mum and gran. So my internal voice is them cussing. And my gran was just exceptional. Like she couldn't read very well, write very well, but her strength and like her, her low language and her fight was out of this world. Obviously, we know things like who don't hear will feel. Mm. And in a, weird, in a weird way, that's like a real rich experience. And I had this epiphany with my therapist about like how sometimes in blackness, we don't, we can't just, it, being told is not enough. If it doesn't hurt us psychologically or hurt us like physically, sometimes we can't make the changes. And, it's, and I think the threshold for our, our challenges means that we are at times too willing to go into things that don't serve us because it has to hurt a certain amount before you stop. And I think like my grand saying that at that time was just about us eating cookies just before dinner and then you get a clap around the head. But I think it reverberates on how we were raised. Like we just have a threshold for these challenges that I think are unhealthy for us all. Now I don't need to feel a discomfort to stop doing something. I can be present to the, the energy in the room or what's going on and I'd be like, I, I actually need to stop. I can call it myself. So I think that's something that had a new meaning as I got older that reverberates. I'm trying to think, my mum just, I'm just trying to think of what her cusses are. Or something that you heard a lot that you now reject. I, for me, most of the stuff that I reject is the narrative around male-female dynamics. Like any, anything that is predisposed around that. And a lot of stuff around homophobia I violently reject. And I'm always someone that just has zero tolerance around that. It's so weird, like the language that used to happen around youth culture, black, whatever we want to call it. But it just used to be around. I never attached it to a human entity. And I put that in a chapter in the book. I dedicated a whole chapter to the LGBTQI community and allowed them to tell their story in our book about their experience of being black and queer. And it was just because I was like, I did, I had no idea. I didn't even know that it impacted you in that way because I didn't actually know a real person who was gay or, or bi or even half those stuff even existed. So we would say the F word or boom, bye, bye. And you're just saying stuff. And then you just like, and then when someone attributes it to a person, you're like, oh, oh that's what that means. Yeah. And then you go on education spree and you're like, actually, this is really problematic. And it keeps people small. And so for me, those things, especially that, was a massive one. Because also I, I was raised in a matriarch, so I didn't actually know women had a hard time until I was much older. Like It didn't resonate. I was like, what do you mean? My mum and my aunts and my gran run all of this. The men knock on our door and be like, can I come in? Is it all right? They're like meek. And so I just thought that this is what life was. I was like, oh, I'm down for this. This is great. My mum's amazing. Then I realised the context of that is 
they had to run the men out of the family because they were full of shit. Then it became about them. And then to get back in to their children, to their families, to their mothers, they had to bypass this matriarchy that was created. And it was like minimal tolerance. And then even then some men tried it, but very little succeeded. It's that force of community. That's what my vision of community is. That's how I see how it works. But also that's not the healthiest way. Like that's for survival, isn't it? That's not growth and love is survival. So thank you very much. I was going to ask, I don't know if you have brought a problem for us to solve, but what I actually wanted to go into was you mentioned your therapist a lot. And it's not often that you hear a black man, especially in the UK, talking about therapy, a therapist. So may, rather, maybe I'll, I'll spin my question a bit. And what, what was the trigger for you to get a therapist? How did you find your therapist? And what's the conversation amongst you and your brothers about therapy? And is it, more, is it a more receptive conversation? It's much more receptive. My, my journey was, I initially thought I was going in for rage. I thought I, was, I had a switch. And if the switch went off, it was curtains for everything that was involved. It was just a, a full-on... And I think there was an occur- occurrence, and I actually put that in the book as well. And I, I, I was going to take it out, but I was like, it's just it's so honest. It's just, it's, this is the kind of thing that happens. So I worked a full day out in the office. I come home. I pass out, like, literally just into the bed. I'm in my full clothes. And, you know, he looks after the children all day. My son was a year and a half. He, he's meant to be going to bed. And I'm in my days, and I can hear him whining. I want water. Just, like, whining. So I, I woke up out of my sleep and I told him to shut the fuck up. Clearly, this is not okay. And then I, I didn't know I said that. So I went back to sleep and then I woke up and then he was looking at me like, are you not going to talk about it? I was like, talk about what? He was, he just, you just yelled at Blake and he was like crying. And I was like, I do remember him crying more and it being really loud. I thought that was a dream. And I thought like, why, can I not, why would I not be able to control that impulse to stop that sound? And it's like, then you go on a journey and you find out things. Like you, I found out that doing events gave me tinnitus. Didn't know that. So in my head, it feels like someone's drilling me. And if you understand that, it gives you a certain level of patience and understanding. I found out like my relationship with women was me constantly trying to be a hero for my mother. You find out stuff like that, then you're like, I don't need to do that because my mum is fine and safe and I can actually just help her. That'd be great. But I'm just like out here, just what are you doing with your business? Let's have breakfast and we're going to sit down and discuss it. And you're doing all these things, but you're just creating these trails and these connections with people that you can't maintain. So then when I found out what it was, I then relaxed and I put other things into the world that allows possible. We're working with a company now, we're very close. We're probably going to put £100,000 into the world specifically for black women. If that gets signed off, that's way more impactful than me having breakfast. So the things that were driving my behavior were things from that time. When I understood them, I could stop. And until that time, I was just on a crusade for like a hundred missions. And now my life is just a bit more calmer, a bit more consistent and just nicer to be around. And I think obviously from Nina's perspective and the kids' perspective, they get a human being rather than a money-making machine who's full of discipline. I have complexities now in a way I didn't before. Um, so I don't know if you answered, did you say where and how you found your therapist? I always tell people to go to BAATN, the Black and Asian Therapy Network. But I found mine is in South Africa. So when I went to the mountains and I did my Vipassana, my 10-day retreat, leading up to it. No, no, sorry, say that again. You're what? It's called a Vipassana, which is also the Dharma Pataka Center hosts like a Vipassana training session. And the Vipassana is a type of meditation. It's based, it's based on focusing on a particular part of your body doing a particular exercise. You do it for 10 days in silence, no phones, no music, no writing, no talking, just nothing. Just like This is you. basically the retreat that I was saying I wanted to go on. It's, it's incredible. 
it's very transformative, but it's a long waiting list because women seem to go way more than men. I got I managed to get in within six weeks. I think the women's waiting list is a year. So it's worth signing up. Do they do them in, in um India too? Because I think one of our friends yeah. have done that for like 40 days. Mm-hmm. She did hers. Yeah, the 40 yeah. days like advanced. So you start off with 10, and then when you do 10, yeah. you can do three and seven. But you can go from 10 to 20 and you can serve and you can help and work, or you can just do the course and then you get up to 40 days. If you're doing 40 days, you're on some next thing because the 10 days was violent for me. It was wild. Mm. Like I, I don't sit in silence. My brain is very active. I consume a lot of media. But in that, I learned a whole new discipline. And this is my relationship to peace now is I refuse to bend for my peace. I just, there's no, no way on earth. Because once you've felt it, it's a whole different thing. Just the silence of your mind, being comfortable with yourself, the practice itself in meditation. I can meditate anywhere in any surroundings, no matter what's going on. It's a beautiful discipline to engaging. So I always ask people to consider that. But for me, I had done maybe five, six years of therapy at that point to make it make a bit more sense. I, w- I would probably not say jump into that as, oh, something's not mm-hmm. right. Let me jump into that. Because the silence, man, there was, I was hallucinating for three days. It's a whole thing. Thank you very much, Uncle Marvin. You've been wonderfully honest and wonderful. Actually, really nice. Thank you very much for your yeah. time. Please um, remember my annual slot and my big piece of chicken, please. That's all I ask. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the chicken will be negotiated. But yes, <laughs> always welcome back. Thank you Thank very you. much for your time. You're um, listening to and watching to Your Aunties Could Never. Now it's time to find out what's made you sad, mad and glad this week. Uncle Marvin, you're up first. Did you do your homework? No, I didn't, but I can tell you anyway. Go ahead. Well, Go sad on. was obviously 100% Jamal and experiencing him not being with us anymore. The madness for me is that Russia are going to go to war with us and none of us are prepared. And I watched Lin May on Twitter and she was like, send some of you roadmen to war. And a part of me found it funny because I was like, that will be interesting to see. It'll be like a great Channel 4 documentary, just like roadmen going to war. Like, what, bruv? No, wait. (laughs) But the idea that like ground warfare is, no no one's doing that. Everyone's threatening nuclear war and we're very close to Russia. Uh, the U.S. may have a few more time minutes than we do. No, thank you. I would love that to be de-escalated. Was there one sad, mad? Mad. What's made you mad, mad. this week? I, 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 honestly, it was the performative nature of some people's tributes to Jamal. I, unfortunately, I, I, I deleted mine very quickly, but I found the like that it was a bit. It felt a little bit like I I was very close to him and I knew him, mm. and it, it was a competition and it was just like sharing things that shouldn't be shared, and. I know I was in an emotional state, so I, I, I won't labor anybody with it, but it, it was a very difficult thing to watch in real time. And some of the people that I know didn't honor him when he was here. And so I, I, for me, it's even more difficult to watch them pretend to be by that. I, I have a very strong view on, on those things, man. I'm, I'm going to wrap it up before I turn into something. But it's a very difficult thing to do. And I just want people to be a bit more patient, but just also loving in terms of how they talk about people who are no longer here and just be a bit more patient with the journey with people. What's made you glad? I was in, it was half term. My kids were in Bristol because they have, Blake's best friend is in Bristol. So my commitment to him is he goes to see him every half term. And so, and I went to New York to work. I came back. That moment of coming in the door, there's nothing in the world that's better. They just, they run to you. They're excited. They, they want to give you things. They, I drew this two weeks ago and it doesn't technically make sense, but you just don't, there's just no one is going to give you that love. It doesn't exist in the planet in any other way 
than them in that moment. And, I, and at one point, they won't give a toss. They'll be like, oh, you're dead. And they'll be like that. But while I have this, apparently it lasts until about 9, 10, I'm milking it. I'd actually would just run out the door to the shop and come back and be like, again? No? No? Okay. <laughs> like, is that good? But yeah, that for me really gives me the drive and energy to keep doing stuff. Today, I'm quite sad about my gran. I've been thinking about, a lot about my gran today. Yeah, just been thinking a lot about her today. So that makes me a little bit sad. Little things that, just like Marvin was saying, there's things I'm just never going to eat again. <laughs> it's just, damn, I wish I had paid attention in that kitchen a little bit more. So a little bit sad about my gran. I am mad at people who just don't do their job properly. I'm like, I'm having issues still with my housing. And like, I had to write a complaint stage two complaint the other day because stage one what they've answered is just nonsense so I had to do the stage two and within the stage two I had to then list all the things that they've done wrong since I wrote the stage one complaint and all the things that just aren't fixed and I had an, uh, the other day the gas man came to service my boiler and me and him were standing in the middle of my kitchen arguing because he just doesn't do his wasn't doing his job properly and wasn't explaining things and I had no gas for three days so that was annoying so that made me quite mad and I am glad for my family I'm really glad for my family I'm glad for my friends and the genuine relationships that I have and I'm also glad that I'm at the stage in my life where I can actually tell somebody if I feel uncomfortable about something and it not be a thing I just have to take it I'm too old to fucking bullshit that's that. Yeah, totally sad about Jamal Edwards. And also, I don't know if it's really too soon, but I know there's always a question of when somebody passes and how did they pass or why? And I was really like, I feel like because this seems to happen quite often, that there needs to be some type of looking into with black people that die quite young, like why this is taking place, especially with men, what's happening if, I feel like it's like a public kind of service. I was toying with that, but I was really like, I know it maybe it is too soon, but I feel like a conversation around actually black people's health and health care needs to be resurgence, not just in maternity care, but actually just a healthy person. How do they just pass? That's what I was thinking of, and that really made me sad. And then I got super mad. I don't know why I was flipping on Twitter and Tim Westwood just popped out of nowhere. He probably tweeted. And then I looked at his header and it's, he still has a show on one extra. I just got supremely pissed off because I was like, there's Capital no way. Extra. Yeah, on Capital Extra, sorry. There's no way somebody that is almost 65 years old as a female or black or male would be on a youth channel like serving street music like that wouldn't happen and why is tim westwood with all of the shit that yeah followed him being a, a dirty nonce and whatever how is he still there and he's like taking up space that really rightfully even without his nonciness should be going to a young dj it, it, it was really pissing me off i was getting so annoyed like yeah it was annoying me so that we have side, to say allegedly we have to say allegedly, allegedly Yes, allegedly Nazi behaviour. But what's Nazi could mean anything. But also, I'm super glad because I witnessed two of my favourite people meeting and just, it was just so beautiful being the plug for family members getting together. Nana squared, almost. <laughs> Basically, yeah, cubed. Cubed. When it's full time. Cubed. Three, that's the cube is four. So what's, it's a tri, no. tri-factor. Tri-factor of Nana's. 
it, it, was, it was lovely, like just witnessing that and being able to facilitate that. So that's going to be one of my life joys. We should have taken a picture so I could have framed it and been like, look at what I did. So, yeah, I was very proud of myself. <laughs> um, so sad, definitely Jamal. I when a death occurs, it always reminds me that the only certain thing about it is that it's a reminder to the living. So is that mad? I'm actually mad. <laughs> and I don't want this to start. Let me do my mad last. <laughs> my glad. <laughs> Is I was just really happy for Kalechi. She opened her charity in Nigeria, the Child of Light Children's mm-hmm. Home, and yeah, she's it's been a label of love with, of, of her and her mum and stuff, and it's coming to fruition. And I just think it's a beautiful thing. So everyone should go to her page and go to the GoFundMe link and well run them some money. And mad. <laughs> So it's not a total mad. I'm mad because it's a person, because it is a really cool, genius idea, but I'm just mad that Kanye done it first. I knew it, I knew it. <laughs> so yeah, like him having his album solely on this new STEM device, although I think it's outrageous that you have to pay two thousand, sorry, two hundred dollars for it to get his new album Donda Two. I think it's revolutionary in the sense of it is literally giving like for him who's a producer as well kind of thing almost 100% of the royalties will go to him and that's cutting totally cutting out all the middlemen and women yeah I think it's revolutionary but it would have to be him to do it wouldn't it just giving more power to him and his let's say wayward of late Uh, thank you what's made me sad (laughs) is definitely Jamal definitely definitely Um, Mad the Russian gymnast that was allowed to continue her gymnasting and Shakari Richardson who wasn't allowed to run in the Olympics because she was found she had a weed in her system this Russian gymnast had a heart medicine that was banned that does what that proves to enhance your performance she was allowed to perform Shakari Richardson obviously wasn't so it was just like the hypocrisy the racism whatever uh, made me mad and um, I don't, this was maybe last week or the week before, the video footage of the mall fight between two te- a white and a black teenager. The way the police reacted to the black teenager and left the white teenager to literally continue his shopping if he wanted to. They just ignored him practically and just doubled down on the black boy, arrested him, hands on the ground, all that. It was just terrible. And it's just nonsense that this stuff is happening in light of everything we've been through in the past couple of years and life. But I'm also very glad, <laughs> so I've got a few glads, very silly, whilst it was wind blustering, someone told me about the live plane landing. I think it's Big Jet TV. Never heard of it before. Mm. Someone is out there filming planes landing at airports. I think it's Heathrow. And that's it. That's literally it. That's the live stream. It's fascinating watching planes landing on a YouTube channel. That sounds like something one of the engineers at work would film. <laughs> and he's got commentary about it. And it was particularly exciting because it's windy day so watching how the planes navigated ooh, 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 and it was all it's 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 <laughs> peak nerd culture but somehow i was cussing it and i was like ooh, ooh, ooh. so i got very engaged it's big jet tv if you're interested go find it also the family moment it was obviously me and another family member connected by our other family member auntie nana and it was just amazing because we've known of each other for years but never really connected in a proper way and now we have, it's crazy having someone that, and there's one particular childhood memory that I had eventually thought I'd made up. 
And then meeting her, she validated the memory. And, I, and we were both like, oh my God. And so it's one of those crazy twin moments where uh, it's just mad. And then also went to the Oscar, sorry, Oswald Broteng AI fashion show last night with Auntie Farah and Auntie Toji. Big up Auntie Toji. And it was a lovely moment with friends, but also seeing Oswald Broteng, the legend designer, do his thing. And he it was a bit of a for the culture moment. And quite poignantly, he had a tribute to like a black excellence and had a screen that was highlighting a couple of um, notable British impactful people. And um, definitely Jamal Edwards was one of the names up there and they lingered on his name at the end. So it was just a wonderful moment. Lots of people from the culture was there. And that was my glad. So on that, as we wrap up, Uncle Marvin, seeing as you didn't do your sad, mad, glad homework, do you have an unpopular opinion, something on your hit list or something that pisses you off that you want to let the world know? This is me. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I just, yeah. I've had a lot of parking tickets this week. I've, I've had a very oh. violent aversion to parking tickets. I feel like I'm parking mm. within the restrictions and the guidelines that they give. And somehow I keep falling foul of it. Specifically outside Shoreditch House, there is a very weird restriction, which is you can you can you can't park there. I think Monday, like they've, they've done it, it's basically Monday to Friday, but they phrased it like it's like Monday to Wednesday. You can only park nine oh. to seven. Thursday to Saturday, you can only park nine to seven. Then Saturday, nine to eleven. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this thing and being like, why does it not just say Monday to Saturday, nine to eleven? And then I get confused. And I part, and there's also one side is Tower Hamlets, one side is Hackney. And if you park on the wrong side and pay the ticket to the wrong person or pay the uh, parking thing, you get a fine. So for me, the absurdity of parking fines has definitely eroded at least four hundred pounds out of my life in the Ooh. last thirty days. Do you know what the problem is there? And I want justice. Yes. Do you know what the problem is there? Are you gonna tell a man what his problem is? Sorry, would you like to? The, the, the problem is there. The area. <laughs> Are you West Londoner? Because only, only West Londoners and South Londoners talk about East London. I've never been West London and uh, South London, darling. Never again in my life. That's absolutely fine. Remember, hi, guys. <laughs> Bye guys. You know what? Do you know what it is about that dude? I can't wait to meet him because which West girl hurt you? Because I know there's a West that's girl out there. That's what I'm saying. Um, I, 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 I beg you come to West and talk to someone. Okay, you know what? I beg you. We've got a real right, Everyone specs that the happy go lucky, happy black person is a problem. Hi guys, I embrace it. Hi. Oh, no, he me up. No. I don't know why it still makes me laugh. And I've watched him like I know it's saturated. When I, I played it, it was funny. I played it, and I swear, like Auntie Sade replied with, "Yeah, I don't find him funny anymore." I played it, and Russell was like, "Why are you playing this guy and laughing?" It was like at the same time. I find him hilarious. I yeah, it's done now. It's done. <laughs> Hi guys, still works for me. Hi guys, fun parking tickets and apparently East London and hi guys. And on that note, thank you so much again, Uncle Marvin, for joining us. You've been wonderful. Thank you guys for watching and listening. This has been Your Aunties Could Never. Please follow us on all the social media platforms. Don't forget to watch us back on Facebook and YouTube. And you can listen to our episodes on most popular listening platforms. And don't forget to write your reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Yeah, and join us next Tuesday live at 5 p.m. GMT and have more aunties could never. I'm Auntie AK and I am here with Auntie still doesn't understand why you're doing this at the end of the show. Oh, <laughs>
I say bye. Then just say bye. <laughs> I, I'm Auntie Nana. Goodbye. <laughs> bye, guys. <laughs> Oh my God. Can, I, can I keep my octaves in place? Bye, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.